episode 222, and we have a major announcement. Not the announcement I think it might be. No, we have an official Mad Mitch declaration. (laughs) We are not beginning the T segment until it's been declared. All right. We are not celebrating the Seahawks' return to the playoffs. That's what I thought. We are not passing go. We are not collecting $200. (laughs) We are doing nothing until this official announcement is made. Tell me when you're ready. I don't know. I'm kind of nervous, to be honest with you. You should be nervous. I should. See, I knew it. Probably not. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I get it. Please stop. Please cease. Please desist. I am now 100% clear that every person, man, woman, and child, within an earshot of this podcast, has a higher Uber rider rating (laughs) than me. I got it. I get it. To all of you who have so (laughs) kindly and generously flooded my inbox at MitchUnfiltered.com to send me screenshots of your Uber account, thank you. I get it. No more (laughs) is necessary. And to the throng of listeners that have sent me emails to say you don't like the show or you do like the show, you don't like Hot Shot Scott or you don't like Hot Shot Scott, (laughs) the holiday discount is shitty. Yeah. Please be advised that it is no longer necessary to have parentheses next to your name at the bottom of your email with your Uber rider rating <laughs> in the middle. I love it. Because I get it. You're, you got it. All right. I, I totally yep. get it. Right. I am the worst Uber yeah. rider rated person yeah. in America. Who's ever lived. I don't need any more proof and evidence. Yeah. Uh, I got it. Early Monday morning, I'm just trying to do my job. I look at my phone and I get a text from my high school buddy, Booby. I just, all it says is 4.9. I'm like, what are you talking? What is that? He's like, oh, Uber rating. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm getting them now, and I'm not we even are, you. We are well into triple digits and emails <laughs> and yeah. screenshots so important. and tweets. Yeah, yeah. All right? The purpose of me bringing this up on episode 221 was not to prompt every single person <laughs> to share with me how they're a better Uber rider than I am. In fact, quite the opposite, actually. You don't give two shits about everyone else's, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, I do. I kind of do. Oh, you kind of do. Okay. But I've gotten enough. <laughs> You're good. You it, got I, enough. I have been slapped yeah. across the face. Okay. I get it. I get it. No more necessary. Good sample size. You feel comfortable? Um, knowing yeah, a okay. little bit too big of a yeah. sample size. Okay. Yes. Now, we can begin episode 222. All right. Area code? Yes, sir. You do? No, I have no idea. 222. There is none. Oh, really? Because it's the 222 scam which I never knew about until I looked up to see if 222 has an area code. Interesting. The 222 area code for the West African nation of Mauritania, from which robocalls are apparently originating. People may be receiving these repeated calls in the middle of the night, and the caller usually hangs up after one or two rings. The Federal Communications Commission said what the caller is trying to do is get the person on the other end to call back. If the person being scammed calls back, the FCC says that person is charged by the minute and somehow the money is going to the scammer. Wow. So if you get a a call from area code 222, yeah. do not answer it. Do not return the phone call. Just block it and move on. Okay. People who never make international calls can talk to their phone company about blocking outbound international calls to prevent accidental toll calls. 
the 222 scam, which I never knew about, apparently is in full force in the United States. I never knew about that either. You've never gotten a call from 222. I may have, but I didn't understand the whole scam and all that. Yeah, it's a scam. To me, 222 is a pill you can buy in Canada that has codeine in it. (laughs) That I knew. I know about the the 222s up there, but I didn't know about this. Not legal in the U.S., of course. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. Please subscribe and have Monday's shows delivered to your podcast. Rate and review us on the Apple Podcast page, please. It really does help, and we haven't gotten many reviews at Apple Podcasts in a while. The PR people for the guests that we try to book look at these things, and it really does help. You can become a Mitch Unfiltered Patron at $5 a Mm, month. That's the rate these days. $5 a month. If you'd like to become an annual subscriber to Mitch Unfiltered Patron shows, I think it costs $56 for the year. Okay. I'm just going to read one email, which Uh pretty much sums up my holiday discount (laughs) offer. Okay. Dear Mitch, this is ridiculous. You already charged me the fee for January, which is not appropriate. If it is this complicated to do business with you, please just refund and cancel my subscription. Do I now get 12 months beginning February or do you refund via Venmo January and I add that to my Venmo request? Very poor customer service, Mitch. Eric Ryan. Yes, I gave the last name. Eric Ryan. Yeah. Bitching about his five bucks. Yeah. Trying to give people half price. Yeah, this is what you get. Went out of my way to give current patrons the same deal, <laughs> even though I was trying to encourage yeah. new subscribers. And here is a current patron who is pissed off to high hell yeah. and calling me bad customer service. And he should just cancel the whole thing altogether because of this shitty promotion that I did. I mean, Eric Eric Ryan, you say? Eric Ryan. Yeah, he agrees with all the Uber drivers. You are shitty at customer service. You don't know how to talk to people. In this case, I don't don't mind a bad rating. (laughs) Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah, one star so far. One star from the listeners on your ability to handle this. what is that? Really? I don't know. I don't know. Really? Bashing me? I'm doing the best I can. I offered it for $30. And I guess what happened was I waited till after January because it kind of expired on January 1st, my offer. So I waited till after after January to do everybody at the same time, to send everybody their emails. I've been sending Venmo $30 refunds to oh hundreds of people over and over again. But I waited to do them all at the same time after January. Yeah, yeah. And what happened, this guy got pissed because he got charged the $5 right. for January. And then I... So essentially, instead of getting $30 off, he got $25 off. Yeah. And he's just raking me over the coals over <laughs> crappy customer. thank you who knew you were in the customer service business by the way i thought you talked into a mic every once in a while can i get anything right no you can't turns out nope beat the boys is now officially in the books it's over the season is over how'd you do how'd i do there kid yeah uh, not good how did i do not good no but you know who did well even though he lost the detroit green bay game and i haven't seen the updated tallies Uh-oh. yet he was going into the detroit green bay game producer steve was yeah Fourth overall amongst thousands. That's pretty damn good, man. I got to give it up for him. So had Green Bay won, here's what I know. Had Green Bay beaten Detroit, which we didn't want to happen, I don't think we did, um, he would have finished fourth, and I would have had to give out three prizes. Unreal. There would be only three people who beat the boys. But as a result of the green, I don't know what the change is at the top, the shuffling at the top. Okay. Since he had, I'm assuming most people at Green Bay, I thought Green Bay was going to win. Sure, yeah. Everybody thought Green Bay was going to win. 
Beat the Boys, presented by Fireside Home Solutions, is now officially in the books. And for all of you that hated the competition or whatever I did wrong on this. <laughs> What'd you do wrong this time? If free, if the charge to play, the free charge yeah. to play was not done very well and it was poor customer service. Yeah. I apologize for any problems that you had with Beat the Boys presented by Fireside Homes. Well, I mean, you did put up pornographic Google images or Google ads on some people's accounts. Oh, yes, accounts. I did. Yeah, that Don't was forget all me. about that. That was all you. <laughs> I yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> You're joking, but no, people really were mad about the contest at one point, right? Yes, they were. Yeah, You had to remind me. Oh, yes, they were. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're strategically placing pornographic Google ads oh. on people's computers and phones. Yes. Guests on this episode Episode 222, Hotshot Scott, mm -hmm. Dallas cardiologist, Dr. John Osborne. You've heard him on this show before a couple of times. Yes. He's really good. Was he the guy that said 30 minutes a day? Get Or no, is that a different Get guy? hot and sweaty. Is that him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You hated when he said get hot and sweaty. No, it actually stuck with me that it's only 30 minutes. What should have like, stuck with good. you is he told you to go get a calcium test. Yeah, no, I remember. Have the, you done that? I haven't. But I remember him saying get the calcium test. You are going to hear him talk about what happened to DeMar Hamlin. Yeah. You're going to hear him talk about what happened to Mike Leach. Mm. You're going to hear him talk about what happened to Grant Wall at age 49. Yeah. And mm. you're going to hear him say, and I don't want to give too much away, that a very cheap calcium test, non-intrusive, no injections, no fasting, go in, get, get your score, get your calcium score, okay. would have saved Grant Wall's life. Really? Yeah. Oh. So how old are you? A year older than Grant Wall. Well, he's, 48, I think I am. All right. Well, he, yeah. you think you are? I don't know. I, what do I got to do to get you to go get a calcium score? I've done it. I've done it a couple of times. What do I got to do to get Hot Shot Scott and the listeners that are in their 40s to go get a... It takes like 10 minutes. Okay. They put you in front of a machine. Boom. It's like taking an MRI. They take a picture of your, your heart or whatever they do, yeah. and they judge how much calcium you have in your veins. I don't care for milk, so I don't know. If I'll have any. You're joking around. No, I shouldn't be. You're that joking mean, around. Is this something you can go to? Like, to just your every doctor can run I this? Think that, I think that, well, I don't know that any doctor, I think you call your internist, call the person that okay. does your does your annual physicals, yeah. and he'll probably give you a, a cardiologist that's either okay. in his office, in his practice, or somebody down the road, and any cardiologist can do it. All right. And it's relatively inexpensive and can save will save people's lives. Before 2024, I will have a calcium test. Uh, right, not... I, need, I need to go earlier. You're yeah. giving me the face. Yes. yes. Before the summer. You do. You do. Before March Madness. This is a... V yes. Before March Madness. That's more reasonable, I think. Will you do it before March Madness? Yeah, I think I have you an appointment uh, around that time. For a doctor? Yeah, just like a checkup. So when you go for your checkup, say, I'd like to get a, calci a coronary calcium test. Okay. Coronary calcium. Coronary. Right. Well, listen to the listen to the segment. Okay. The most important segment that we do on Mitch yeah. Unfiltered. The the previous two times that he were he was on were the two most important things that we did. And now this very educational. You'll learn about exactly what happened to Hamlin. You'll you'll hear about what he has in front of him in terms of recovery. Yeah. You'll hear about Leach. You'll hear about Wall. You'll understand what you need to do, okay. especially at your age. Right. I mean, you're an alta cocker. That's right. For God's sakes. Dallas cardiologist John Osborne is guest number one. The Seahawks no table, Brady Henderson and Joe Fan to help me celebrate the Seahawks. <laughs> you look like you're in a celebratory mood right now. Going to the... Is this team in the playoffs, really? They're going to the... Are the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs? God. The two teams I root for, could there be two less impressive I know, right? playoff teams 
Could there be two bigger underdogs on the board? I haven't even seen the the Vegas odds yet, but I got to believe yeah. that the Dolphins, especially if two is not playing, right. they got to be three touchdown underdogs <laughs> against the Bills <laughs> and the Seahawks. What would you make the Seahawks in San Francisco? I mean, what kind of a chance? Yeah. What would you have to make the spread of that game to encourage 50% of the betting on both sides? Ten and a half. You think people are going to bet Seattle plus ten and a half? I think so. Nobody's going to bet Seattle plus ten and a half. All right, then I you'll get ninety percent of the wagering on San Francisco really? at ten at ten and a half. Ugh. Absolutely. All right, I'll bet you it's closer to two touchdowns. I'll bet you it's closer for to a four playoff two. game though. Two touchdowns is a lot. Have you watched the Seahawks? Yeah, team? that doesn't mean the whole country has. I mean, they just look at the line. They don't. We know they're not really that. People good. are in love with the 49ers. Are they not? What, McCaffrey, 10 touchdowns in 11 games yes. or something insane like that? I think that? it's the other way. It might be the other way around. 11, 11 and 10. 10 Jeez. Yeah. Can I tell you about guest number three? Please. You ever been to Hillsboro, Oregon? Yeah, as a matter of fact. You have? Yes, I have. Because I've never been to Hillsboro, I had a friend. I, I think my friend still lives in Hillsboro. Sherwood, Hillsboro, I think they're all kind of... I don't know. Yeah. I just know Hillsboro is like an hour outside of Portland, 45 minutes outside of I Portland. I think it's uh, east, actually. Yeah, there's a, there's a resident of Hillsboro, Oregon. Who was our third guest? Okay. On Mitch Unfiltered, episode 222. Okay. Would you like to know why he's on the show? Yes. He's a little different. All right. <laughs> You've come across different people in your life? Sure. When you listen to this, if you listen to this, you'll say, okay, that guy is a lot different than you and me. Really? Okay. Yeah. You see, he lives on an airplane. Lives on an airplane. Okay. He bought an airplane many years ago. Yeah. Broke it apart. He bought a 10-acre piece of land in the in the sticks in the woods. Okay. And he brought a plane in, plopped it down, rebuilt it and he lives on the airplane. I already have a lot of questions that hopefully you Have cover. you never heard of this guy? I don't think I have. A lot of people have heard of this guy. Really? Okay. His name is Bruce Campbell. He lives on an airplane in the woods of Hillsboro, Oregon. Okay. And when I tell you I did the booking of this myself, <laughs> yeah. the back and forth between him and me, and then the, the ultimate interview, which I never thought was going to happen for a yeah. lot of reasons. Yeah. I don't get any cell service out here. I don't have internet. That was one of my questions. I'm going to show you the picture of him talking to me on the phone. Okay. He called me from the wing, on the wing <laughs> of his airplane. <laughs> he did the interview from atop the right wing of his aircraft. Like, I'm going to show you okay. the picture of him talking to Mitch Unfiltered on the wing of his aircraft. What kind of aircraft? Or do you want to wait for the interview for him to explain? It is a 727 jet. Oh, my gosh. Jet. Like, pretty big, sizable. Yes. And wow. He's, and he's in the throes of doing it a second time for a piece of land in Japan. A 747 he's trying to buy. <laughs> I have so many questions already, but... <laughs> Like, does he work? Does he does he have a fascination with airplanes? Ask me. Was what, it free? I have a lot of questions. Ask me if he even has heat in the damn airplane. Oh my gosh! Ask me. Does he have heat? No. Ask me. You can't survive without heat. Ask me what the kicker of the story is. <laughs> What's the kicker of the story? He's a nudist. <laughs> come on. Now I see why he's in the woods. All right, it's starting to come a little more clear. The man lives on an airplane. In the woods oh my God. in Hillsboro, Oregon. And he's going to tell you all about it. I'm Mitch Unfiltered. He said the only place that we even have a shot of me doing the interview, yeah. of me being able to get through to you, is if I go out on the wing. He's like, 
bundled up and he's not he's not nude on the wing. Oh. A nudist with no heat. A nudist with no heat who lives on an airplane in the in the woods of Hillsboro, Oregon. To each their own. Part of me's kind of jealous in a way, though. If I no, you're not. I'm kind of jealous of being in the woods by myself. No, you're not. No internet, no phone, no nothing. Be no, left alone. I, I get the appeal a little bit. I, I do like clothing. Dallas cardiologist Dr. John Osborne, Seahawks no table Brady and Joe, and Bruce Campbell from the woods <laughs> of Hillsboro, Oregon. Okay, the second show of 2023 made possible by the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Jordan Flowers always there for us. Hopefully the Fed will cooperate this year as well. This is the time that you need a creative, think-outside-the-box mortgage group on your side, and I've got one for you. The Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage, 425-890-2957. Tyler Hay and Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, expansion continues in 2023, Eagle, Idaho, hello, Portland, Oregon, Renton, Washington, north to Bellingham, east to Idaho, south to Portland, Zeke's Pizza just does it the right way, homegrown, in the Northwest. Daniels Broiler had a solid 2022. You're going to hear Lindsey Schwartz tell us what needs to happen in 23 to make it a special year. Let's get that spectacular downtown Seattle location humming in the Hyatt Regency. Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. And John Waterstrat, Fireside Home Solutions, the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion that we run. Whatever you need, Mitch. Always seems to be the answer from FiresideHomeSolutions.com. All right, episode 222 begins right now. Unfiltered. I don't want to get too spiritual. I'm, I'm not that type of guy, but it almost feels like the nation kind of banded together. Sure did. And we like said no. The world said no, no, no. This is not his time. And we all got together and kind of put our hands together and kind of pulled on it. Unfiltered. If Bobby Wagner is retained and playing for the Seahawks, there is an argument to be made. What are they, eight and eight? I think they are, if they do nothing else but just bring him back and pair him next to Jordan Brooks before Brooks gets hurt, and nothing else is different. I think that there's a very good argument to be made for 10 and 6. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode 222 is underway. Hotshot Scott, say it now, say it proud. The Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, what are they again? They are wild card participants in the NFC playoffs. They are NFC playoff bound. I'm seeing on my screen as we record this on Sunday night that they're the first game out of the box potentially on uh-huh. Saturday at 1.30. That's what I'm seeing. Don't hold me to that. Putting Seahawks fans out yeah. of their misery early. Yeah. What kind of chance did you give Detroit to go to Green Bay on Sunday night and win? It's weird how sports works. Everything suggests Detroit's just going to roll over. Who gives a crap? They're vac- they'll be in Tahiti in four days with you their family. You gave them no chance, did you? Of course. You're supposed to give them no chance. But... 
It's sports. It's the NFL. The unthinkable happens all the time. They're professionals. They probably hate the Packers. So hopefully they can find a way to dig down and find something to win. But no, of course, nobody before the game, knowing they had nothing to play for, you would have bet your life on that game. But you like this Coach Campbell, don't you? He's kind of a tough throwback guy. He kind of is, yeah. And you like what he said to his team as they ignored the Seattle Rams game earlier in the day as they were preparing for the Sunday night game. He said something like, at least this is what they reported on NBC. It sounds good. He said to him, listen, forget the Rams-Seahawks game. Because at the end of the day, one of two things is going to happen. We're either going to go to the playoffs or we're not going to let those guys go to the playoffs. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got you got to like that. Yeah, they have that's true. That's something to play for, right? Yeah, the Packers. You hate the Packers. Yeah, if you're Detroit, don't you, you sure? hate the Packers? Turn the punch bowl, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Oh. That was kind of weird seeing like it's kind of weird Aaron Rodgers just every year he's just in the playoffs 12 and 4, you know, I guess 12 and 5. Yeah. Always a good record, always, you know, one or two seed, maybe three and then it's just no no Aaron Rodgers. What if I told you hot shot? Yeah. That you know somebody who had a million dollars on the game between Detroit oh, and gosh. Green Bay. A million dollars. You actually know someone, not personally, okay. but you know somebody who had a million dollars on the game on Sunday night and needed Detroit to win to cash. Well, that would be insane. That would be Seahawks quarterback, Geno Smith. Really? Yes. I'll tell you how it happened. He had an incentive. He, he signed a one-year contract for $3.5 million, and then an opportunity to make $3.5 more million in incentives to make it $7 million if he if he hit a bunch of stuff. Okay. One was a pro bowler. Hit it. There you go. Okay. <laughs> one was like 4,000 yards. Done. So one of the clauses, let's see if I get this straight. He would get $250,000 if he played 55% of the offensive snaps. Okay. Just don't get hurt. Or don't get pulled. Yeah, right. Okay. I guess. Yeah, don't suck, I guess. He would yeah. get two. So he got that 250. Okay. He got another 250 if he played 65% of the snaps. He got another 250 to play 75% of the snaps. Oh, boy. And he got a, a fourth 250 to play 85% of the snaps. And then it said, whatever you get from those four percentages, you can double if you go to the playoffs. Wow. So he got the 250, the 250, the 250, the 250, got the million. Yep. And so he had a million dollars on the game on Sunday night, which he claimed. Now, I don't know that I believe this. I'm not (laughs) I'm not saying bad things about I'm not throwing Gino under the bus here. Okay. But he claimed that he was not intending to watch the game. Why? Because it was too nerve-wracking. He wasn't talking about the million, but just getting to the playoffs. He figured it would be bad luck. That's what they said on the broadcast. That Gino is not planning on doing a watch party. He just doesn't think it'll be good if he watches the game. He'll bring the Lions bad luck. If you had a million dollars riding on a game, <laughs> what would it take to keep you from yeah. monitoring the game? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd be paying attention to what was going oh, on God. every second of that game, yes. So Gino got every dollar good for him. of incentives. I Happy think he made $7 million. He's in line now maybe to make 25 or 30 We'll see how that goes yeah. next year, whether it's a franchise tag, whether there's a long-term contract extension, whether he goes somewhere else and plays. But he's going to be playing. The Seattle Seahawks are going to be playing in the playoffs. Unreal. Not for long. Right. They're going to be playing in the playoffs, and we're excited about that. We are. On Saturday afternoon, I believe, at 1.30 Pacific time.
that's one part of this, you know, because obviously Seahawks fans aren't stupid. It's like they, they know this is not a good team that's going to win the Super Bowl. But Geno starting a, a playoff game, it's the first time in his life. That's, yes. that's a pretty cool story. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just happy for Geno more than I am, you know, thinking the Seahawks are going to be some some real threat in the playoffs. I think that's cool. I'm happy for him. Hot shot. If I had said to you before the season started, after they traded Russell Wilson away and they brought Drew Locke, <laughs> if I had said to you that Geno Smith is going to win the starting job, He's going to throw for 4,000 yards. He's going to take every snap. He's going to go to the Pro Bowl, and he's going to lead them the year after Russell Wilson to the playoffs. What kind of odds? Oh, yeah, worst parlay of all time. A a million to one. (laughs) For sure, yeah. The whole season is crazy. It's it's nuts what he was able to accomplish. I thought for sure we'd see Drew Locke at some point. You know, maybe Gino would have two or three bad games. I don't yeah. think he came out for a play. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm forgetting maybe Gino going off. For, I don't remember Drew Locke ever taking a snap right. the whole year. For God. There is a monument, though, of him down in, in Pioneer Square. Have you seen it? Of Gino? Uh, no, of uh, Drew Locke. No, no. It's a bench. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. I, I, I don't think you, you can play do all better. Year. I hope you're going to do better than oh, that at the end of the show. That wasn't very good. That's really good. A monument, it's a bench? That's pretty funny. It's not very funny. It's good. It's corny. It's old man humor. <laughs> it's my humor. And it's you didn't a, even like it. It's a it's a joke that I would tell. So before the games on Sunday at one o'clock, there you go. I sent out a poll question via Twitter. Okay. You ever sent out a poll question via no, Twitter? No, not my thing. Okay. I did. Okay. Because I wanted to know how Seahawks fans truly felt. I said you can have one of the following two things, and only one. Your choice, Seahawks fans. You can have a Seahawks win over the Rams, which of course didn't assure them of a playoff spot. They would have still needed Detroit to win, which happened. Or you could have the Broncos losing to the Chargers Mm. and solidifying the third overall pick in the upcoming draft. One or the other. You did not see this poll, so I'm going to ask you. 2,000 Seahawks fans answered this poll. What percentage said they would rather the win over the Rams? And which percentage said, happy to lose to the Rams, I want the Broncos to lose to the Chargers? 67% said they want the Broncos to lose to the Chargers. More than they wanted their own team to win. Yes. This is kind of cougarish, isn't it? Didn't somebody once tell me when I first moved to town that Cougar fans would rather Washington lose than, than their, their own, own team, team win? win? Yeah, it is yes. kind of. It's a little cougarish. Yeah. You are right on the button. See, I, I know my people. 63.4% said we'd rather the Broncos lose to the Chargers yeah. than the Seahawks beat the Rams, prompting some to tweet back, if you say that you'd rather the Broncos lose to the Chargers, you're not a real oh, here we Seattle go. Seahawks real fan. Real Seahawks fan, yeah. <laughs> here we go. The 12 has been watching football since 2012. Oh, and yeah. God. That's amazing. I mean, but a, a top, I mean, you got done telling us, I think, last week that a, there's a pretty big difference between three and five, right? I think so. Yeah. Now, we'll find out as we get closer. You don't know until you get closer. Who studied the draft And the Broncos went out and won, and Russell Wilson guided them to victory. He looked great. They dropped from three to five, and the Seahawks now will have the fifth pick, and I'm worried that they're going to lose out on those two defensive players if they want one of those two. But it's it's John Schneider. If he wants one, he'll get one. Why? Well, he'll trade up. He'll, He'll figure something out. Remember, John Schneider doesn't trade up. Well, he might for one of these guys. He trades down. Yeah, but he hasn't had a fifth pick. That's a pretty good. It's been a while since he had one that high, right? Or no? Yeah. So maybe. that's what makes it very attractive to trade down. Schneider, I, I think if he really wants one, he'll figure out a way to get it. Had the Broncos lost mm-hmm. 
and the Seahawks lost, if okay. both happened, they would have had the third pick in the in the first round, yeah. and they would have had the 14th pick in the first round. It's exciting. That would have been a fun and, draft. And then, by the way, the 14th pick, the third pick in the second round, or the fourth pick in the second round, and the 14th or 15th pick in the second round. And then in every round that they had a pick, their pick would fall in the 14 to 15 range. As it turns out, though, instead of picking three and 14, if they both had lost, yeah. they both won, which means now it's five and 20. So it would have been three and 14, no trip to the playoffs. Now it's five and 20, and you get an extra game. You get to go to San Francisco and watch that all over again, <laughs> which I'm looking so much forward to. When you went through your list of things that if you would have told me before the season, you know, Geno Pro Bowl and the whole 4,000 yards. Yeah. That By whole... the way, he broke like five team records. It's crazy. Now, Asterisk, he does play an extra game, 17 games instead of 16 games. And in Dave Craig's era, whoever else had the yeah. records, they I think they played 14 games back then. No, it, was, I, it was 16, I was think. Was it 16? Yeah. Okay, Matt Hasselbeck certainly played 16 games. Yeah. But he broke like attempts, yards. He broke Russell Wilson's records. It's crazy. In his first year as a starter. It's crazy. What, was you gonna, what were you going to ask? Well, of, of that whole list of things, tack on. Oh, yeah, by the way, that pick from the Broncos is going to be a top five pick. Top five pick. Even though I'm a little bitter that it's not three. Right, but you yeah. would have signed off on that eight months ago, right? Or whenever he was traded six months ago. You would have signed off on that all day long. A top five pick. It's pretty damn awesome. No one saw that coming. The weird thing is, as long as the name on this show is unfiltered, I might as well be unfiltered. Okay. The Seahawks, as they prepare for the 49ers on Saturday, mm -hmm. in my estimation, right this very moment, are probably one of the eight worst teams in the NFL. Hmm. That's what I think of the Seahawks at the moment. And they're going to the playoffs and playing the San Francisco 49ers. They won three of their last like nine games or seven or eight yeah. games. And those three games were against the Rams twice after they lost their whole team mm -hmm. and the Jets once yeah. here. Those were the three games that they won. But somehow they got into the playoffs and I shouldn't be ragging on them. But I, I, I truly think like if you said, Mitch, do one of those power polls. I've never done a power, power ranking. Yeah. Power ranking where yeah. you rank one to 32. Oh, yeah, I love those. Yeah, I've never done one of those. Yeah. I don't think I've ever even read one of those. <laughs> but if you ask me to author one yeah. without looking at it right now, my guess is you got to do it based on how everybody's playing right now. What kind okay. of team they are right now. I think I would get down to like 20. So you're doing 30 team, 32 and teams, 32, and it's it's a it's a bracket. You have to seat them one through 32. One through 32, if best you're seating team, them. Like yes. if I think the Bills are the best team, they're a number one. They're number one. Yep, so they're the Kansas ones. City and San Francisco, yep. one, two, and three, yep. and you know Philadelphia's one, two, or three. Yeah. I think I would get down to about 20 or 21 <laughs> before I would even contemplate yeah. putting the seat. That's that's what uh, I think of this team right now. I, I want to argue with you and disagree with you. I it's just, not. I you can't. can't. You can't. Especially with Jordan Brooks not playing. I mean, that that hurts him. Just, I, I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm kind of with you. But you said early in the year, you said 9 and 8 you think would get into the playoffs. You said that early I on. I thought a 9 and 8 Seahawks yeah. team would get in the playoffs, but I didn't think last week that a 9 and 8 Seahawks team would get <laughs> this in the This 9 and 8 playoff team no, for sure. God. It's unreal. I'm not even sure how they won the game on Sunday against the Rams. Yeah. And by the way, just a message to Quandre Diggs. Can we instead of taunting and pointing, is it possible that maybe we try to move the ball down the field yeah. a little bit better to get him into field goal range to win the game? It's not possible.
Can't be done. Could he have stopped his momentum from going out of bounds and then just turned upfield and gone 30 or 40 yards, 20, 30, 40 yards? Yes. Against five big, slow offensive linemen and six guys who haven't tackled anybody in years? Yeah, it would have been nice I know to see I'm him sounding get, like an no, old man. I said the same thing on Twitter, and I knew I was going to sound like an old I man. I know I'm uh, sounding like an I old man. I love taunting. I love it more. I, I love like, talking like crap. Taunt? Okay. I love it. It's all, right. Bobby Wagner's How face. about shoving trainers like they did in the uh, Sunday night game, like the Green that Bay That I don't did. care much for. But um, <laughs> you, you would think after Monday night's performance by trainers saving people's oh, lives. They're the heroes uh, of the world. How about like, now? How about five days later, we're shoving them. <laughs> So revered. Big, big defensive guys <laughs> yeah, yeah. are shoving these little trainers. I know. What is that? I, I don't know. That, that I don't was even a, know why he did it. I don't know what, what provoked that. But I said the same thing on Twitter. I knew I was going to sound like old man, get off my lawn. But dude, come on. Try to get upfield and get some yards against guys who don't tackle he for may- a living. You're very fast. You probably could have got a lot of yards. You think guys would want to house it. Why, why don't they? Wouldn't you want to try to score? He acted like the game, like he sealed it. The game was over. Yeah, that was weird. He I didn't totally was all about Bobby Wagner. Yeah. Were there some pretty shit calls against the Rams during that yeah. game? Yeah. The the roughing the the roughing the punter. What call. was that? Oh my god. Awful. I, I mean, he was like the fourth I, guy. I kept waiting for someone to rough him and nobody came and then finally some guy just falls backwards and Well, he grabbed the guy and brought him in closer <laughs> and hugged him. I mean, it was yeah, almost was embarrassing. Bad, yeah, there were some bad calls. But talking about Diggs, that like this taunt that's taunting. That, I mean that, that, yeah, that could that's have been a penalty. Ninety nine out of a hundred times, that's a penalty. For, these are, the refs can't wait to throw the flag on Correct. that stuff. Correct. So on top of not trying to bring the ball down right. the field to get into, could have gone the other gone way. way. Fifteen yards. <laughs> I know. Only this team. Uh, by the way, only o- only this team. How about DK just punches Jalen Ramsey in the face? Yes, it's nothing. puts his finger. Yeah, they didn't get a. Oh god. I mean, they, he didn't haul off, but that's considered no. a punch. Uh, totally. He could have got ejected for that. It was totally. just a, just a nothing. Totally. God, there were some bad calls. It was weird. But, I, almost, I almost felt dirty, like, getting excited for this win. It felt weird, like they didn't deserve it. I don't know. This uh, is not what fans want to hear. I'm sorry, but it just felt so weird after that yeah, game. Yeah, I, I actually am I'm feeling a little bad. I'm just telling you how I feel about yeah. the team. I'm happy, I suppose, that they're going to play a playoff game. You never know. You never know. We've seen playoff games. We've seen upsets in the playoffs. I suppose the Seahawks could go to San Francisco on Saturday and win. I'll be pulling for them like all the Seahawks fans are, yeah. but I'm just trying to be real here. It's been a long time since I was less excited. And I throw my team into the other, the other Mitch team yeah. that won like nine, six or 11, six <laughs> over the jets. Okay. Throw that team in who lost like their last, the last six games in a row and backed into the playoffs yeah. somehow, some way. It's been a long time since I was less impressed by two playoff teams, as I am the Seattle Seahawks and the Miami Dolphins. I'm just saying. Yeah. You can you can be mad at me. You can not listen to the podcast. You could call Eric Ryan and send me nasty <laughs> emails. Yeah. You can do whatever you like. It's just the way I... Again, I'm excited for Geno. Yep. I'd like to see Geno stay with the Seahawks. I'd like to see them give him a contract. I'd like to see him beer. I'm convinced that he's good enough to win football games, but I am woefully unimpressed with the product as a whole. And to have to sit there through the torture of three and a half hours on Sunday watching that Rams game. Torture. I mean, torture. watching that game. This is one of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah. You've got at your place, 
everything to play for. They've got nothing to play for. They've got Baker Mayfield out there. <laughs> right. And receivers you've never heard of. Yeah. And none of their stars are playing. No. And you need to go to overtime. That's right. To somehow eke out a win. Yeah. You're missing field goals. The Pro Bowl kicker. I've been told he's a Pro Bowl kicker, Jason. Oh, Myers. he only missed three all year. He's clutch. He's oh, yeah. He's, sure. he's, a, he's a real clutch mm-hmm. clutch performer. Yeah, I have uh, in my notes here, can barely beat the Rams at home without right. three of their best players. So, yes, I'm with you. It was a little sad that it took them that long to beat a depleted Rams team. Brutal. You and I have not discussed before we go to the three interviews, including a guy who lives on a plane yeah. in the woods of Hillsboro, Oregon. Mm-hmm. You and I have not discussed DeMar Hanlon because it happened on Monday and we did the show that debuted last Monday. Do you want to discuss it here in, in segment number one or Let's do you do want it. to move, move it along? Did, did you have any feeling jump into you as you watched it that reminded you of another sports moment? Hank Athers, maybe? Yeah, that's, that's the one that hit me. Because I actually texted that to a couple friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. I remember the Hank Gathers thing. That oh, was... I do, too. I wasn't watching the Hank Gathers thing as it happened. I was watching Monday Night Football. Yeah. I was in bed with COVID, trying to get over I my... I don't know her. Yeah. I was trying to get over my my second go-around with COVID, and I my jaw was had dropped, and I was staring at the TV, watching it live, and then staring at the TV for the next three or four hours, not even comprehending what I was watching just hopeful that something would come on my television telling me that he's going to be okay. Right. That's all we wanted. Which I knew at that time on Monday Uh, we were not going to get until the earliest Tuesday or whenever, Tuesday afternoon, if we were lucky enough that the guy survived it. CPR is not performed on people who are alive. I mean, that was the scariest thing I've seen in a sporting event. Just horrific and then and then the stories start coming out about it what kind of guy he is the toy dry it's like oh my god. god and then of course the a-holes that make fake go go fund me's for him really oh there is a ton of them oh no exactly i mean See, i don't even know about that people are awesome there's a bunch of fake GoFundMe's so people oh, start donating. Really? But GoFundMe figured it out and took them all down and oh, refunded good. people their money. But good, good. yeah, that's one of the awesome fallouts of it. But oh, it was so just it was just sickening. Sickening. And again, I sickening. I, I hate to be the you know, the playoffs are coming up and I'm gonna watch every second like everyone else. But I I've told you before I watch football differently than I probably did twenty years ago. You do. With the head injuries and, you know, the CTE and all that, it's just... People committing suicide, former players. Exactly. I mean, sick. we want bigger, faster, stronger. We've been beating that drum for 40 years, right. but the heart doesn't get bigger. The brain doesn't get bigger. You, you know, you can't do as many bench presses as you do. Your heart and your brain ain't going to get any bigger. And so I think we're going to reach a tipping point at some point with these big, fast, enormous, strong athletes out there slamming into each other it's just it's scary and then how did you feel as tuesday came about and we got the first tidbit of good news and then tuesday night more good news and then wednesday and then thursday he's responsive and he's passing all his neurological exams and he's squeezing a finger he's following instructions and and then he's off of the oxygen i mean how did you feel as he came to when a lot of us thought he wasn't going to survive this yeah I honestly didn't think he was going to survive out of the stadium. Oh, really? Well, I thought he was going to pass away on the way to the hospital. Oh, man. I mean, CPR. I mean, let's, I mean, let's forget it, right? I mean, that's, yeah. So I was so happy when I saw I mean, And then when I heard him ask, or he asked who won the game, because they thought maybe the lack of oxygen, he could have some brain damage. Correct. And, You're going to hear all about that yeah, from okay. John Osborne. Yeah, He's yeah. going to tell you exactly how much time you can <sighs> go without air. Yeah. He's going to tell you exactly what was happening on that field and why 
he believes he is going to play football at the beginning of next season. He'll wow. be back on the football field. That would be amazing. How about the Bills returning the opening kick for a touchdown? Yeah. Hey, you can't. I mean, if, if you wrote that in a movie script room, they'd throw you out for being too cheesy. Right? I mean, that was perfect. It was awesome. And the Seahawks paying tribute. I mean, it just. Everybody. We kind of came together for once, right? Well, Everyone that's what was I was going to say. The same guy. That's what I was going to say before we go to the interviews. I'm pretty sure that in my whatever, 30-something years of trying to make sense of sports on the radio and now on the podcast here in Seattle, yeah. I don't think that I've ever brought... Now, somebody can call me and say or write me an email. Eric Ryan can write me an sure. email oh, he loves and it. say, I remember when you did. But I don't ever recall kind of bringing in spiritual explanations and possibilities into the mix because that's not the type of guy I am that mm -hmm. God ordained this or whatever. The question I just asked you, if you asked me back how I felt when I started seeing him respond and getting better fast and then smiling yeah. and sending out pictures and doing the Zoom with his teammates and asking the question via writing, did we win? When I started hearing all that, it felt like the nation and world kind of got together on this for the first time, like in forever. We yeah. all got together for one cause. We put all of our differences aside and it just felt like we willed it. It just felt like the nation said, we all yelled, no. Yeah, that's right. No, not him. no, it's not happening. It's, it's not happening. Yep. It's not his time. Yep. He's not going out this way. And we just put our arms together and, right. and, and pulled him back. It just felt that. And I, yeah. I know that sounds cheesy and I know what moving, you're saying, but it though. just yeah. felt that way for yeah. me that we just refused. We as a as a country just refused to let this guy go. He was not going. We were not having it. We refused to lose DeMar. And I can't remember any time in sports, entertainment, and politics where somebody was fighting for their life like this, a president maybe fighting for their life like this, and we all as a as a country yeah. got together and put differences aside and said, no, this is we are not going to let this happen. Yep. I, it's, it's something that I've never, I don't think I've ever experienced, yeah. that I ever remember experience, experiencing in 55 years. It felt like a family member was recovering in front of our very eyes. Like, that's how... That's how invested was I was. Like, please let this kid, he's 24, right. let this young guy just pull through. Forget football. He'll be taken care of. Just let him pull through. It just was, didn't seem right. Out there throwing his life on the line every night, this sport that we all love. Yeah. And yeah. God, it just didn't, it would have just been awful. So awful. And then he got better fast. Well, to be to be 24 again, right? I mean, <laughs> resilient. He got better and By the fast. way, I mean, He's in the NFL. He's a unique human being to begin with. But still, his heart stopped twice. Yeah, he I lost know. his pulse twice. Unreal. Both on the field and in the hospital or on the way to the <sighs> hospital. I mean, this guy died and came back twice. Yeah. And yet, once he started to recover, it was an amazing progression. And then, not to rain on the parade of his recovery, okay. but I started to think about once I knew or I felt like he was going to be okay, and I started talking to doctors and whatever, and they said he's going to be okay, he's going to survive this, and he's going to thrive. I started thinking about all the articles that I've read where there are a thousand, every day, every single day in America, over 1,000 people suffer sudden cardiac arrest. Wow. You know what the survival rate of those thousand, how many of those thousand every day that do have what he has, that sudden cardiac arrest, you know how many of those thousand survive? I don't. 100. Wow. 10%. Not very good odds. And the reason they don't survive is because they don't have the immediate attention. Mm. They don't have the people 
that he had. I mean, if you were ever, I, I hate to say it, right. but if you were ever going to. Not a bad place su- to have that happen. Right. The play, I mean, unless you're going to be in a hospital. Exactly. Uh, he had yeah. medical people on top of him immediately. Right. Both teams he had can action, come help too. He had oxygen. Yeah. He had defibrillators. Yeah. He had CPR Im- immediately. He was one of the 100. He was yeah. one of the 10% because of the immediate response. Because most people who suffer, 900 of them each day out of the 1,000, yeah. who suffer sudden cardiac arrest, they don't have anybody to help them right. fast enough. CPR fast enough, oxygen fast enough, a defibrillator fast enough to save their lives. He did. He did, yeah. And so I kind of feel the last few days sad for yeah. all the families who have been kind of crushed and devastated. Right. You know, when cardiac arrest comes up in their family and their loved one <sighs> doesn't have a full on staff waiting there. Waiting yeah. there to run onto the field. Yeah. So that makes me a little sad. Yeah. But I mean, as soon as the Hawks get eliminated, I guess I'll have to be a Bills fan going forward. I mean, who wants to play the Bills every week in the playoffs, right? I mean, God, it's, it's not going to be a fair fight. They're going to have to just mow through to the Super Bowl. It just feels like it's it's destined to happen now, right? Who Does wants it- to play the Bills? Oh, well, sorry. <laughs> I forgot. You root for a team of the AMC. My bad. <laughs> Does it make me a bad guy to say I am not rooting for the Bills to win? Yeah, the Super Bowl? Uh, no, it does not. You have some rooting interest. You got a, f- a few years in you. It's funny because I really like Josh Allen. He strikes me as the I know, world's he's, nicest young guy. He's out there pointing and throwing oh bombs, and he's fun and to watch. Cheering yeah. up and so emotional about it. Even yeah. in the press conference on Sunday after his game, when he was talking about the return for a touchdown that you were talking yeah. about, he was in tears. Yeah. Right. He was in tears. He just seems like... I know. He's so... You know, the Seahawks wanted him. That's the big stink. That's where it all started with Russell Wilson. The problems with Russell oh. Wilson. Because they went to watch him work out. They want, And apparently they made a, an offer for the number one pick. They made Russell Wilson available. They tried to trade for the number one pick that year because they wanted to, to draft Josh Allen. Wow. That's where it all started. Interesting. When, he, when the whole crew, the Seahawks crew, were seen at Josh Allen's pro workout. Gotcha. When, they, when they already had a Pro Bowl, All-Pro quarterback. I mean, why are you going to see Josh Allen? <laughs> right. What's wrong with me? Come on. What, what the two Super Bowls for God's sake? Three interviews, episode two, two, two. And if you get a call from area code two, two, two on your cell phone, don't answer it and don't call back. And then the other stuff segment. Hey, look who's back on Mitch Unfiltered. It's Katie Versio, the director of financial planning at Evergreen Golf Call. Happy New Year, Katie. I know what 2022 was like for all of us investors out there. Not good. How about for you guys at Evergreen Golf Call? Yes. Well, thanks for having me, Mitch, back on the podcast. As we've talked about many times, 2022 is a very challenging year for the markets where for the last 10 years or so, we haven't had a lot of volatility. And at the end of the year, the market ended down about 18% and bonds ended down about 13%. So it's been a tough environment for investors. Basically, every asset class was down, but it was a really good year for Evergreen, I would say. There was still a lot of volatility in our portfolios, but we find a lot of opportunity during these turbulent times. We manage our portfolios very actively, and this was a real shakeup of a year where we were able to find a lot of clients that may have been managing portfolios on their own, and now we're realizing, hey, this is more complicated than I thought, and I really want to make sure that I'm holding up well for, for my own goals here. For those listeners out there that don't have a plan, an investment, or a financial plan, or haven't reviewed it in a long time, or just have questions of if you're on track, now is a great time to learn more about our services. So what would be the best way to contact you for our listeners? Do it through the website? Yes. So if you go to our website, www 
evergreengk.com. You can learn more about our services on the website. And there's also a client compatibility survey that you can take that will then have one of our advisors contact you. Very good to know. And for all of us who need help, and most of us do, with our investment needs, Katie Versio and Evergreen Golf Call are there for you. Evergreengk.com, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. The only normal score on a calcium score, and basically we're looking for calcifications, literally hardening of the arteries and the blood vessels, the only normal score is zero. So if you're a zero, you're a hero in my book. (laughs) If it's not zero, that is actionable. That needs to be discussed about, because what it says is if you have any calcium in your blood vessels, you've got plaque. Over the years, we've drifted away from sports several times to discuss and attempt to learn about sound preventative health care, especially as it pertains to the heart. Well, sports and cardiac malfunction collided in the scariest of ways last week with so many of us watching and then praying and hoping. DeMar Hamlin continues to recover at, from my uneducated chair, a remarkable speed. Dallas-based cardiologist John Osborne has always made time for us on Unfiltered, and he's back with us. Happy New Year, John. Happy New Year to you, and greetings from Texas. As the days have passed since last Monday, and more and more information has seeped out. How confident are guys like you, cardiologists who haven't treated DeMar, at being able to put the puzzle pieces together and explain to us what happened with some level of certainty? I know there's two parts of this, and that's what happened. And then the biggie as he recovers, which is why? What caused this? Absolutely. So again, obviously, you know, never taken care of or, or know any of the details other than what we've read via the media. However, I, I think most of us in, in the cardiology world have concluded that it's this condition that occurred on the field called commotio cordis. Uh, you've probably heard that term now. Uh, most people have. Uh, <laughs> no one had heard that before outside of cardiology before on last Monday. What it describes is that if you get hit, uh, it could typically it's, it's with something, a, a ball could be a Football, a baseball is probably the most common scenario, could be a hockey puck, uh, but also it could be a helmet, it could be elbows, arms, whatever. But if you get hit just at the right speed, at the right time, or the wrong time, and we can talk about how critical that time period is, in the right place, what it can do is cause the heart to go into ventricular fibrillation. So ventricular fibrillation means all of the millions of heart muscle cells that normally contract in a normal coordinated way to to pump blood out of the heart. Now, all those heart muscle cells are all going on their own. So there's no drummer anymore. And when that occurs, the heart ceases to beat, ceases to pump blood. Your blood pressure rapidly falls to zero. And uh, that's what causes the cardiac arrest and obviously uh, can occur within seconds, as we saw this last Monday. So that's what we presume happened. It can be just incredibly bad luck, the perfect storm of the right place, the right time, uh, the right location, or there could be other factors that can play a role in contributing to to this as well. 
What would be those other factors? Right. So one of the things that also increases the risk of this condition going into ventricular fibrillation is you can have a scar. So you can have a, a pre-existing scar, could be from a, a viral infection, could be from a heart attack, could be from a variety of things. So that also could increase the likelihood that this scenario could occur as well. That That's something that I, I've not seen anything in the media Obviously, uh, as they evaluate him after this event, yeah. thank goodness he's uh, recovering promptly, as we really would have suspected because of the medical protocols that they have that go on these days with the right equipment, the right training, yeah. uh, the ability to do rapid uh, CPR, which they did, and then rapid delivery of electrical shocks to the heart to convert it back, which again, uh, they have the equipment and they did as well. And if, and if all of those things are in place, then the likelihood of, of a completely normal recovery is very, very high. If neither of those things are there, uh, that likelihood is uh, dramatically reduced. We'll come back to that because yep. what I can't get my arms around, John, as a football fan, is if this was purely about timing and place of contact relative to the heartbeat, how in the world has this not happened before in nearly 100 years that we're playing this game on so many different levels, high school, college, pro? Yeah, no, good question. So there's been a, a number of articles uh, prior to all this about commotio cordis, this phenomenon. Um, interestingly, the average age of this is about 15, and rarely is it about in individuals above 20, right? So now we're talking about your your NFL professional players. On a yearly basis, we see about 10 to 20 events of these recorded a year. Okay. But again, mostly in younger kids, mostly males, as you can imagine, because of the predominance of males in sort of contact sports, but also younger. Uh, the feeling behind that, why it's more why the average age is 15, again, you know, kind of a peak time for sports. And number two, is our chest wall gets progressively stiffer as we get older, uh, which acts a little bit as a, as a shield to protect us against this. Mm. So it is quite uncommon. I mean, it's uncommon to begin with 10, 15 cases a year, but mostly in younger kids, boys above 20, quite rare. But again, it's one of those one in a billion kind of scenarios. Gotcha. And I think that's, that's kind of what we saw. Uh, hopefully, in our lifetimes, we won't see another case like this. If it's determined, John, that there's no pre-existing condition, 100% right. healthy heart when he was warming right. up on that Monday night in Cincinnati, does an episode like this change that and leave any kind of residue or scarring that now needs to be monitored going forward? Yeah, great question. Probably not. Uh, again, rapid institution of CPR within certainly within a minute, probably even probably measured in seconds, and then rapid defibrillation, in other words, getting a shock. Those things help to protect and prevent damage to any organ, particularly the heart. Uh, but the biggest organ, the most sensitive organ, of course, is the brain, right? You know, if we lose blood flow to the brain, you start having brain damage within about five minutes. Uh, the heart can take about 45 minutes, right? So it's a, it's a lot more uh, resilient, but obviously, He's woken up. He's communicating. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, all will be good. And uh, I, I don't think they'll have any continued consequences of this event. So what's the difference between cardiac arrest and a heart attack? So a heart attack is really more of, a, of an issue with the blood vessels of the heart, blood vessels being compromised. In other words, getting a blockage in the blood vessels, 
usually in the heart attacks that we're thinking of, it's because of a blood clot forms in that blood vessel. So you, you usually start with some degree of a plaque, usually not blocking the blood vessel. So there's no symptoms. There's no chest pain. You could do a stress test all day long, never detect that plaque because it's not enough to block the blood vessel. But that plaque uh, undergoes what we call rupture. So in other words, that plaque basically pops like a pimple. And when that occurs, we then, within seconds to minutes, begin to form a blood clot. And it's the blood clot that's the final common pathway to causing what we think of as a heart attack. And that's that's where we come in to play what you've been telling our audience for years, which is the calcium the yeah. calcium test that the many calcium of us, score. the calcium mm-hmm. score that many of us can go in and very routinely check to make sure we don't have a lot of calcium buildup in our arteries. Absolutely. So, and and by far, you know, we saw this very very rare event as we discussed before with Demar. On the other side, every thirty eight seconds in the U.S., someone dies of cardiac arrest due to a heart attack and a blood clot forming in the heart. So that flips to the other side, which is incredibly common, right? About a million times a year that occurs. Whereas you can't predict who's going to have commotio cortis. You certainly can predict who's at risk for having a heart attack. The, the, the stuff that causes that heart attack can be seen, can be visualized, can be detected 20 to 30 years before you ever have the event. So that's why it's so important yeah. to uh, consider getting what, what, what is called a coronary artery calcium score. We call it a CAC is the traditional abbreviation or CAC or coronary calcium, coronary artery calcium score. And by the way, it's not a blood test. It has calcium in the name, but it's really used to detect if there's any calcification around the blood vessels of the heart. Hence the term, it's really to detect the quote hardening of the arteries that really will show up in the vast majority of people before they ever have symptoms, a heart attack, or certainly cardiac arrest. You just mentioned it, and I read something like a 1,000 Americans suffer sudden cardiac arrest every day, and the survival rate is something like 10%. So so low, I'd imagine, because most aren't lucky enough to be productively treated quickly by CPR and defibrillators, oxygen, et cetera, like DeMar was. Absolutely. So- if one goes into cardiac arrest, develops ventricular fibrillation, not because of somebody hitting their chest, but because of a blood clot in a blood vessel, and goes into ventricular fibrillation, which is an incredibly lethal rhythm where the heart completely stops, the mortality rate, once you go into ventricular fibrillation, we call it VF, is 10% per minute. Wow. Unless, again, you got a team there that can do CPR and then get that rhythm back to normal with as I like to call it, Edison medicine, right? With with that electrical shock. Again, somewhat unfair for me to ask you this because you're so far away from it. These are all educated guesses at this point. It sounds like you'd bet on him to play football again, to play NFL football again, to walk on that field, maybe as soon as next year. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think definitely the odds are, are in, in his favor to uh, resume his career. Yep, wow. certainly. That's crazy when you think about how we were all holding our breath. On that Monday yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. Are there enough defibs around? Do enough people know how to use them? And do enough of us Americans, John, know how to administer CPR? Well, that's an easy one. No. So we call it the chain of survival, right? Because you have to have all those parts to it. You have to have the people reacting promptly with the right training and with the right equipment, right? 
So you can see it's pretty complicated to make sure all that happens very, very promptly within the, the little minutes that we have to save someone life, someone's life. So yes, we need to do a much better job. And I hope lemons, lemonade, I hope one of the things that comes out of this is that more people get trained in CPR. It's very easy and quick to learn. Uh, and in fact, one of the, the other initiatives that we've done to increase survival in this scenario is that if you call 911, someone is having a cardiac arrest, those uh, operators, the 911 operators are actually trained to basically tell you, even if you've never done CPR training, how to do basic uh, what we call compression-only CPR, which is very simple. I mean, it literally can be, be taught and learned on a telephone call in during the cardiac rest. But obviously, that's not the best scenario. So we are thinking about ways to do a better job where more people are knowledgeable about this. And certainly, good quality CPR can absolutely be a life threat, uh, lifesaver uh, until the definitive treatment, which is the defibrillator, which is the device to shock the heart, is available. But yes, we need more people to be trained. Hopefully more people will become trained with what happened to Damar. Uh, and we certainly need more defibrillators as well. What's the easiest way to go about being trained the right way? Yeah, literally, I would go to the web, Google CPR training, uh, and, and it'll come up in your area. Mm -hmm. uh, the American Heart Association, that's one of their core uh, principles, core competencies is really one of the leaders in that. But there's certainly other organizations. But uh, if you go to the American Heart Association, of which, full disclosure, I'm a volunteer for them as well. Uh, that's a great place to learn CPR, get your card, but most importantly, just learn the skills. It's very easy, it's very simple, and uh, that can really, uh, it literally can save somebody's life. And it may be a friend, it may be family, uh, maybe a stranger, but you literally can save someone's life with that knowledge. John, what does DeMar Hamlin's next few weeks and months look like after what his body went through during those 40 24 hours, few minutes, whatever you want to, however you want to term it. Sure. Uh, first and foremost, you know, being incredibly physically fit as he is always is an advantage, right? So fortunately he has that going for him. Uh, one of the things they're going to be doing, uh, and I'm sure it's probably already been done, frankly, is that they will be doing special testing to understand were there other factors? Was there a scar, a pre-existing scar that no one knew about? Uh, were there other factors uh, that could have been playing a role. And that's going to be important both for his healthcare, but also uh, whether he'll, he'll be able to go back to, to playing, you know, full-time professional football as well. So that's testing. We do, we use tools like certainly an EKG can tell you information, but probably one of the most useful tools in that are really two tools. One is an echocardiogram. That's an ultrasound of the heart, uh, which he's already had. Uh, and I'm sure that's probably normal. Typically it is the scenario. Uh, the other tool, which is incredibly sensitive to, to pick up uh, scars of the heart, is something called cardiac MRI or cardiac MR. That's done with an, a magnetic resonance imaging machine or an MRI, as we talk about nowadays, uh, that we use to image lots of stuff, cancer patients and all kinds of things. With the right protocols, that tool is very sensitive at picking up any scars uh, within the heart. And that's going to be helpful to understand, it, is he at risk for for having this again. So I'm sure that's probably already been done. Then the rest of it is really just uh, physical therapy and recovery, which again, I think because he, his substrate was so excellent to begin with, yeah. uh, probably should be pretty much a snap. Should, shouldn't be a big, big issue. So in the last few months, we in the sports world have lost a popular college coach named Mike Leach, who had oh. been described as suffering from heart failure for a while. He was 61 years old. 
And then the tragedy of soccer writer Grant Wall at age 48 in Qatar covering the World Cup. He died of what they call an aortic aneurysm, which as I understand it, John, CPR and a defibrillator doesn't necessarily save a victim of that. No. So unlike what happened, uh, we, we can talk about Mike Leach, but what happened with Grant Wall uh, was, uh, as you said, an aortic aneurysm. Just to put that in perspective, the vessel that the heart pumps all the blood out to is called the aorta. So that's the, the major blood vessel of the body. It basically measures about an inch wide, right? So that's a massive blood vessel. If that blood vessel, blood vessel is disrupted, ripped, torn, bent, mutilated, mutilated, spindled, whatever, uh, like your male. Uh, if that aorta is, is ripped or torn, you're going to have a massive bleed out and you're basically dead in seconds. And unfortunately that's what happened to Grant Wall. So nothing to do with a plaque, uh, nothing to do with a heart rhythm issue or an electrical issue. This is really a mechanical issue. Now, interestingly, these aneurysms usually form over years, right? The problem is as that vessel gets larger and larger, there's no symptoms, right? No chest pain, no breathing problems. EKG would be normal. You, you just, you wouldn't be able to, to see it, to see the, that vessel getting larger until it finally gets big enough, almost like blowing up a balloon. Finally, it gets big enough and the walls become thin enough. It just ruptures. And when it ruptures, show's over. I mean, you, you're, you're basically going to die. The survival rate from a ruptured aortic aneurysm resembles something like cardiac arrest with ventricular fibrillation. So how it's, do we uh, check for it? So here's a great, uh, a, great, uh, a great thing to notice or to note that when we do a calcium score, what a calcium score is, it's done with a CAT scanner. I call it the magic donut, right? It's done with a CAT scanner. It's not a blood test. We're going to take a limited CAT scan of the heart and we're looking for calcium. However, when we do that, we're also going to see your aorta. So when we get a calcium score to see if there's buildup of plaque in the blood vessels, Along the way, for free, we're going to see if you have an aneurysm in the heart as well. So pretty phenomenal, right? One tool, usually it's about 100 bucks. I've seen as low as 43 bucks. Takes just a couple minutes to do. No prep, no IV, no contrast. Whether you show up fed or not fed, it doesn't make any difference. And you can see that both aneurysms of the aorta as well as plaque buildup long before you get in trouble or have a a Grant Wall scenario, or uh, frankly, a Mike Leach scenario. Easy peasy, cheap, simple, probably the, the most effective, I would say, if you look at the cost of it, the time it takes, what you have to do to get ready for it, which is nothing, but also multiplied by how common heart disease is. Remember, only 40% of us will die of heart disease, and 75% of us will manifest some form of heart disease during our lives, but only 40% will die from it as I say, a little facetiously. But the beautiful thing is a calcium score not only can see if there's buildup in the blood vessels of the heart, but can also detect those asymptomatic, asymptomatic in other words, no symptoms uh, when you have that enlargement of the aorta. So you can identify that, and then that can be fixed surgically. So what you're saying really here is, is that Grant Wall did not have a calcium test, at least right. in the last however many years it takes for that aorta to expand and to show some sort of an existing condition that could have been solved. Right. Yeah. I, and I bet if you were to go back in time, he probably had an enlarged aorta for at least 10 years beforehand. 10 so years. he had quite a window uh. to identify that. And once you identify it, yeah, it's going to require surgery, 
but it beats what happened to him, which was sudden death at age 49. Oh, so tragic. And then, and then we have Mike Leach, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, the, the next of that spectrum. Now, Mike Leach's scenario, I have to say, was pretty typical, right? This is a, what we deal with day in, day out with, quote, heart disease. Uh, it sounds like, again, I'm just taking it from the media, having never seen or examined him or whatever, uh, but, but a very typical scenario. He probably had some prior heart issues, some prior heart attacks. He survived. He developed heart failure, means that there's scar of the heart. It's not squeezing normally. Uh, but again, we have very, very good medications to treat that these days. And in fact, if you look at sort of standard of care treatment for heart failure versus just 20 years ago, with the drugs that we have available now and to use, have lowered the risk of death from heart failure by 75%. Really? So the drugs we have, yeah, huge, huge uh, Im impacts, right? Wow. Uh, imagine we could say that about breast cancer, lung cancer, prostate cancer, That's colon right. cancer, right? Yeah. In in 20 years, we have been able to, with the right cocktail of medications, lower the risk of death from heart failure by 75%. Wow. So Yahoo for, for everybody, medicine, and most importantly, patients. But I think what happened in his scenario, from what I gather, he had had heart problems before, had heart failure from what I read from the papers. But then at home, he had a cardiac arrest. So again, two different ways. We have DeMar because of basically trauma, completely normal heart, causing the heart rhythm to go out of whack. In his case, he had pre-existing heart disease that does increase the risk of cardiac arrest. Both of them about the same problem, ventricular fibrillation. The difference was Mike Leach was at home when it occurred and he did not have good CPR, it sounds like, for probably 15 minutes, right? Yeah. Because, and I would say, and let me just, editorialize a little bit. If you have somebody you know, friends, family, whatever, with heart disease, learn CPR, right? You could literally save their life. And even if you don't, right, it may be a stranger, but but with that, just a little bit of training, and it's super simple and easy to do, you literally can save a life and you never know when it may happen. So I just encourage everybody, please get trained in, in what we call bystander CPR, very simple, very easy. It literally can save a life. And and it's tragic in this scenario. I, again, we don't know the details. All I know is that, you know, he apparently collapsed 15 minutes before they, you know, probably EMS, the met, you know, paramedics arrived and started CPR. But that literally could have saved his life. At least he'd have a circulation until definitive therapy yeah. came along yeah. with a defibrillator and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, heavy stuff. Your world is yep. very, very heavy, John. But, uh, you know, we're making advancements. And if we take care of ourselves and we do the right things, we obviously cut down the chances. Go back and in the final few moments, the calcium test that you and I have talked about on a number of shows and we'll continue to do so as long as you'll come on the show. Uh, <laughs> men, women, what age? When do you want yes. these calcium, calcium tests to be taken? Right. So I would say, think of it like a colonoscopy, right? Now, up until recently, the, the age to get a colonoscopy, to just screen 50. for colon cancer, screen for polyps was 50. It's recently been moved to 45 Oh, because more and more people are developing colon cancer earlier. So we actually moved that just within the last year or so from 50 to 45. So I think that's a reasonable number to, to think about starting uh, because the age range where colon cancer hits is pretty similar to when we begin to see the peak for the increase in heart disease. Now, if you have a bad family history of heart disease, 
balloons, stents, bypass surgery, heart attacks, strokes, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you smoke or have smoked in the past, I'd get it earlier. But I think 45 is a reasonable uh, uh, point, to a reasonable time to, to think about getting, getting your first calcium score. And if you're zero, kind of like having a colonoscopy and you don't have a polyp, right? Right. Then you don't need one near term. If, if you're zero, the warranty for a calcium score is about four or five years. Have another so one if you have in five zero years. scores. Yeah. Four or five years. How, exactly, how right? early, Very how, simple. How early do you want those that have the the history in their family yeah. or have the smoking in their background? How early do you want those guys to have their calcium score? You know, it sort of depends upon the individual, how many risk factors they have, family history, smoking, high blood pressure, diabetes. I don't think there's much value to doing it earlier than 30. But certainly, if you're post 30 and you have risk factors, it's certainly reasonable, right? The and cost is, is minimal. Yep. The, the, there's a little bit of radiation, but nowadays with the technology we use, these CAT scanners, it's about the same as a chest X-ray, which is you know less than what you get traveling from L.A. to New York on an airplane. John Osborne in Dallas. Thank you, sir. It's great to see your, your face again. Let's uh, let's do it again soon. We can't talk about this subject enough as far as I'm concerned on this on this show. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure. And uh, thanks for saving some lives today. 2023 is here, as is the CEO of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsay Schwartz is back with us, and I'm hopeful that, Lindsay, you'll give us a little update on 2022, how it ended in the holidays and look forward to goals and hopes for 23. How is everything over there? Yeah, Mitch, it's great. Good talking to you again. I hope you enjoyed the holidays. We sure did. Like we've talked about, it's a busy time for us. And uh, we had a, a fantastic holiday season. We had a little bit of ice and snow to dodge, but uh, didn't slow us down much. So we're really happy with the way things turned out. Wrap up 2022 for Daniel's broiler as it compared to 2021 at the four locations. You know, it was better. Sales were up pretty much fully staffed and we're excited. We had to dodge some uh, supply chain, some inflationary pressure, but uh, overall it, it was a really good year for us. So when you look forward to this year, and what you'd like to accomplish in the next 12 months. For Daniel's Broiler, what's the challenge? You know, overall, just uh, to continue to see some of the inflationary pressures ease, to see the supply chain get straightened out, that would help all four of our locations. The one we're most excited about is our downtown location, downtown Seattle. It's in the Hyatt Regency on the second floor. It's the biggest location we've ever done. It's got the newest decor. It, it's really cool. And we opened that in 2018. We had a pretty good year in 2019, and then, of course, we all know what happened in 2020. So tough timing to open a brand new space. But the convention center edition opens in January. It's right across the street from the hotel. We're super excited about that. And we hope it just kind of helps with the momentum overall of downtown Seattle. There's, there's more people working downtown than there were the previous year, and we hope that that trend continues. There's more people that will be taking cruises up to Alaska, leaving from Seattle this summer. So we think that's going to be great. So, so lots of exciting things going on downtown Seattle, and, and hopefully it's just revitalized and get this thing rolling again. I'd imagine that most of our listeners that have been to Daniel's Broiler have not experienced that location. And it's right there across from the Paramount. It's a great night out on a Saturday night if you want to try it. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, it appeals to locals who are going to Seattle downtown for whatever reason, whether they're going to a show or going shopping, uh, working downtown. And then also, of course, for travelers, for, for business travelers, for tourists. So it really appeals to a wide range. And uh, yeah, people who haven't been there should, should go check it out. It looks a little bit different, kind of updated from the other three. It's really fun and it's cool. Daniel's Broiler in 2023 and try out. The downtown location opened in 2018. Let me tell you, I've been there. It's magnificent. It's a perfect night out on a Saturday night if you want to give it a try. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. It'll end the round. It's Atwell to the end. Atwell to the end zone for a Rams touchdown. Smith looking for the end zone and lock it. Oh, and he drops it in. Oh, oh indeed, he's got Van Jefferson open, and it's intercepted. Quandre Diggs out of nowhere. And hope springs eternal in Seattle. It was a really good finish uh, to this season for our guys. And... Uh get some wins and get something going here and, and feel good about it and do the things we had to do uh, to give us, you know, with what we were faced with. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, episode 222. It is Seahawks, no table time, Taco Time Northwest, 60 years and counting, home of the stop yawning, Joe, the tater fries. <laughs> the Seahawks did some work. The Lions did some work. And look what we have here. Joe Fan and Brady Henderson. The extension of the Seahawks no table. A Saturday afternoon showdown. It's so hard to beat a team three times in one year. 1.30 p.m. on Saturday. It's only a 10-point spread. Joe, you're in Vegas. Your win bet. How in the world is this only a 10-point spread? I would have guessed 14, 15, something along those lines. Yeah, that, and it's also no surprise that this game is being played first in terms of the wild card slate. It's let's get the Seahawks out of there and on their way as soon as possible. It remind a couple years ago, what was it? It was like the Texans hosting the Raiders. And like ESPN paid a bunch of money for the rights to, and it was just like a, such a dud of a game in terms of like NFL ratings. It was, and that's sort of like what this feels like. It's, it's sort of like, Oh, the playoffs are starting ease your way into it. All right, let's check it out. Okay. The Niners are up four touchdowns. All right, we'll move on to the next one. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't think it should be 10. I think it should be more than that. I do think it's supposed to be a little rainy, um, which might level the playing field might give the Niners a bigger advantage when it comes to their running game. Uh, and their defense. Um, and yeah, the narrative of divisional games are closer than they should be sometimes. And it's hard to beat a team three times all that, but yeah, I don't see it. I mean, we'll obviously talk about it today. We'll talk about it for the the Friday show, but I, I'm going to say it a lot of different ways and repackage it, <laughs> but there's sort of some fun in that there's some house money involved, you know, like there is zero pressure on the Seahawks because not a soul out there will expect them to win. Brady, I haven't, I guess I buried the lead. I haven't even asked the question. How did they beat the Rams on Sunday? Why did they beat the Rams on Sunday? Give me the, the two or three biggest reasons they survived somehow, some way in overtime 
and made the Sunday night game between the Lions and Packers actually mean something. They're a better team. Uh, I don't think they're a great team, but they're the better team. Uh, and that, you know, played out over what, 67, 68 minutes, whatever it was. Um, you know, we talked going into this game. I think I, I can't remember who all picked the Seahawks to win, but none of us uh, picked it to be a blowout. And so, I mean, we all figured it would be a close game just because that's what the Seahawks do. Uh, they, they made it, you know, probably unnecessarily close, but uh, they got a great play by Quadre Diggs. And we can talk about, uh, you know, the, uh, I don't know, premature celebration, whatever you want to call it, but that was a heck of a play by him. Cause Van Jefferson was wide open on a deep ball there. And uh, they just made enough plays to win in the end. I think that game, I know it's kind of uh, the cliche thing to do for sports writers to talk about microcosms, but if that's not a microcosm of their season, then I don't know what is up and down uh, and then up again at the end. And so um, they, they did just enough and they got some help from, from the uh, lions and I'll, I'll re you know, fresh this, I'll re-mention the stat lions uh, before Sunday night were three and 19 in green Bay uh, since 2000. And so obviously this is a different, uh, era for the Lions under Dan Campbell, but they really helped the Seahawks out, and uh, history was not on their side in that game. Joe, let me tell you who else helped the Seahawks out. I was waiting for Brady to put it as part of the reasons why the Seahawks won the game. The officials, the refereeing, the umpiring, whatever you want to call it, boy, oh boy, the roughing the punter call that extended that drive and allowed him to score they didn't call the DK Metcalf poke in the eye oh boy. on the sidelines. They didn't call a 15-yard taunting penalty on Quandre Diggs when really, I know I'm an old man, but I'll say it. How about attempting to stay in bounds when you didn't know whether you could move the ball and racing down the field another 20, 30 yards of field position instead of pointing at Bobby Wagner? That could have been a 15-yard penalty going the other way. For goodness sake, it just seemed like they got all the right. We love to sit here on these shows, at least I do, and complain about officials, bitch about the officiating. They got a lot of breaks on Sunday. They did. And I was surprised that DK Metcalf didn't get flagged uh, after that. You know, it was after the Geno Smith 25 yard scramble where he takes that big shot uh, from Jalen Ramsey out of bounds. And look, you admire uh, Geno for sticking up for his guy, but he almost, you know, and that hit by Ramsey gave Seattle 15 extra yards. DK almost gave it right back to him. And that's, um, yeah, that's been a, a theme for him of him. And even dating back to last season of him repeatedly letting his emotions uh, get the best of him. I think heading into this game, I think he's been flagged for three personal foul penalties. And again, he was lucky to not get one there in a big spot. Joe, you've done power polls before. I know you've written them. You certainly read them. I'm not big into power polls. But what I said to Scott in our first segment of this episode 222 is that if you force me to do a power poll right now and rank all 32 teams based on how they're playing right now, I'm not sure that I would find a spot in the top 20 for the C. I'm on, I'm not, this is not hyperbole. I'm not joking around with you. I see you smiling. I think I'd find 20 teams in the NFL that I felt were playing better football right now than the team going to San Francisco and playing on Saturday in the wild card round. Am I wrong? No, I, I had them. Uh, I do. I'm, I'm tasked to do power rankings or power pulls as you call them, you know, it's same thing. 
Mexi tots, tater fries. It's all the same. No, no, it's not. Um, I had them 18th going into this week. And yeah. I, I I would be hard pressed to move them up much based on what you saw against the Rams on Sunday. So I am in agreement with you. I don't think there is a team in the playoffs. If you did just the 12 playoff teams, or I guess 14 playoff teams, I, I don't think there's one I would rank. I got behind one behind the Seahawks. Yeah, what I about got, Mitch Levy's Miami Dolphins? I got one. If, if, yeah. Skyler, if Skyler Thompson is the quarterback, I got one. <laughs> yeah, that would be the one. That'd be uh, the caveat. But yeah, I mean, you're right. There wasn't a whole lot about Sunday that was impressive and having to go to overtime against the Rams uh, certainly doesn't inspire confidence that you're going to go be competitive in San Francisco next weekend. That's why they play the game, I suppose, and we'll find out. But I have no problem saying, and we'll say again, and we'll say again after that, I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I'm going to ring the bell. You're not going to hear it because I'm going to promote my Twitter or I'm going to say that on Twitter on Sunday, Joe, I sent out a poll. You're a poll guy. Love polls. I sent out a poll about power polls, Twitter polls, swimming polls, swimming polls, movie stars, polls, south polls. Whoa. I sent out a a Twitter. No, Twitter poll (laughs) a couple of hours, maybe an hour before the game. And I asked Seahawks fans if they could have one. I think I asked you this on the last edition for the patrons of the no table. You can have one. A Seahawks win over the Rams or a Broncos loss to the Chargers. I got 2,000, I think, before the game started, about 2,000 answers of Seahawks fans, supposedly Seahawks fans, and 67% wanted the loss by the Broncos more than they wanted the Seahawks to beat the Rams. What does that tell you about Seahawks fans' confidence and how they feel about this playoff version of the Seahawks tells you everything you need to know. And I don't think that's like a bad thing necessarily. I don't think it's a bad thing that people watch this team and say, yeah, they're going nowhere. I mean, (laughs) let's be honest. I mean, Gino was dreadful on Sunday. I mean, some of the decisions he made were so bad. Now hold on the legs though. He made some big plays with his legs to pull sure. And the touchdown from Tyler Lockett was incredible, but that one he had dropped, um, the, yeah. the interception that was dropping just yeah. can't happen in a game of that magnitude. And his whole thing is supposed to be protecting the football. Um, and, and he, that's been a big issue for him. The turnover worthy plays that have really started popping up in the second half. And yeah, I, uh, I get it. I get why the poll was the way it was. And you put that poll out before the games on Sunday, right? So no, nobody I, knew. No, I, I did it about, an hour and a half, two hours before Seahawks game time. It was in the midst of the early action. Okay, so Sunday. nobody yeah. nobody knew what the first round matchup would be, right? No, but we had an idea. But well, my my I guess my point is I think if people knew that the 49ers would be the first round matchup, that poll would have been even more lopsided than it was. I I, I don't look, this is obviously the easiest trip for the Seahawks. I don't think there's a worse matchup for them uh that they could have had in the first round. Right. I mean, we've seen through two games this season. I mean, really we've seen the whole season, but especially in two head to head matchups, we've seen right. how much better, how, how big that gap is uh, between the 49ers and the Seahawks. They beat the 49 or they beat the Seahawks 
by 20 points in week two and held Seattle without an offensive point. Uh, that game in week 15, it was an 8.49ers victory, but that was probably the most lopsided one score game I can remember in a, a while. Remember, there was the, the Geno pick six that got negated by an after the fact roughing penalty. Uh, the 49ers had that long run to get near the goal line at the end of the game, and they would have you know, scored at least a field goal there if the game wasn't over and they just kneeled it out. So that was an eight point game. That was probably more like an 18 point game. Uh, And yet the spread is 10, 10 points in San Francisco, an intense playoff matchup. Somebody knows something, Joe, some shady character and some alley in Vegas. No, but even then, like, let's keep it in perspective. 10 is a lot of points. That's a big number in a playoff game. So I hear you. We think it should be more, but it's still a huge number in a playoff game between a divisional opponent. Joe, let's go back to the the editorial about the Broncos losing. As it turns out, Russell Wilson kind of gets them into the winner's circle against the Chargers and the Seahawks draft choice in the first round. I know there's a lot of time for the three of us to talk about this coming months. But still, it it feels painful. A lot of people are saying, you know, Mitch, it's only three to five. What's the big deal? Three, five. For me, it feels painful, those two spots, because we're talking about Will Anderson. We're talking about Jalen Carter. And at five, with the other two quarterbacks, it just feels like that's the number that'll be outside where they need to be just outside to get one of those impactful defensive players. Am I overreacting? No, I think it makes sense. I think it also is is sort of, it makes sense when you consider the hype that Will Anderson and Jalen Carter have gotten throughout this season, where it does seem like it's those two guys or bust. There will be other players who get a bunch of steam into the top five of mock drafts and power polls and all of that over the course of the next couple of months uh, leading up to the draft. But when you're at three, you're guaranteed Jalen Carter will Anderson. That's just how it works, Uh, you know, with the assumption that Houston would take a quarterback. Now you don't have that. So the sting makes sense from that standpoint. I do think, you know, now unless John Schneider falls in love with a quarterback, which I think is possible, and I think is one of the biggest storylines going into the draft is whether whether or not that happens. But maybe now you entertain the potential of a trade back and and a continual uh, accumulation of draft picks. And so maybe you move from five to eight or 10 or even 11 and, you know, we'll see, but I I do think it's, that becomes much more part of the conversation compared to, Ooh, will it be Will Anderson or Jalen Carter, which felt like such a cut and dry thing over the last couple of months. Brady, Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. Follow him all week. He's on his way to San Francisco or Santa Clara to watch this uh, third matchup between the 49ers and the Seahawks. And, He'll have all the coverage on ESPN.com. How they come out of the game on Sunday against the Rams physically injury rise pretty well, as far as I know. And I think Pete Carroll had a comment on, on King five uh, saying as much that they, they came out. Okay. Injury wise. Uh, there were no injury announcement and injury announcements in the press box. Um, I think you know, Tariq Woolen briefly left the game uh, with, I think an ankle or a foot or something, but he only missed 
two or three plays and he came back in. So uh, they, they came out of it pretty well. And uh, we'll see if they can get Ryan Neal back for the wildcard game. How about the Bobby Wagner day for the two of us that weren't at the game like you were? Give us kind of a recap of what it was like for 45 to come back to Seattle. Yeah, a cool moment in pregame. Uh, Sean McVay, I don't know if he normally does this or not, but he sent Wagner out as the lone Rams captain uh, for the coin toss. So it kind of gave Wagner you know, the spotlight and really the one you know, moment of the afternoon where he could really kind of be at the center of attention and really get a, an ovation from the fans. And he, of course he got a big one. Uh, that was cool. And then I think walking off the field after the game, he got another big one. So wasn't like the, I don't think it was the game that he played in that first meeting uh, against the Rams in December, but he still had seven tackles, a quarterback hit a tackle for loss. Uh, so he, he had another Bobby Wagner type game and um, yeah, I'm sure he would have loved to spoil the Seahawks playoff chances, but still another good game for him against the Seahawks. The three of us will be back as uh, Joe alluded to it with the uh, Seahawks no table for the patrons. That'll be posted on Friday. Um, So we'll talk more about the Niners matchup, whatever there is left to discuss between these two teams. Joe, let's start with you who was doing some work. Seahawks get through this in overtime. They make it to the playoffs they're nine and eight. No, they're not a very good football team, but I suppose we should give them credit for being better than anybody expected them to be. I don't think any of us thought we'd be talking about a playoff team at this stage of the year, even if they did back in a little bit. Um, do you have a Seahawks player you want to go off the board? Taco Time celebrates those who love to do some work, always looking to add to their Taco Time Northwest team at tacotimenw.com with the perks and the compensation packages and the signing bonuses. Joe Fan, you get the you get the pick of the litter. What do you want to do? Yeah, I think before that, we, we, we mentioned the, the Denver game and, and rooting against them. I just want to make this point real quick because of all the, the help the Seahawks needed on Sunday, um, I think a lot of people expected Denver to have to somehow lose to Chargers backups. And for the most part, they beat Chargers starters. And, and inexplicably, Brandon Staley's got Justin Herbert in there in the fourth quarter, Keenan Allen in there in the fourth quarter after losing Mike Williams. They've got nothing to play for. And it was almost like Pete Carroll must have like slipped Brandon Staley a 20 and said like, hey, man, we need this one. If you can come through, I got another 20 with your name on it. If you guys can get the job done. Um, but but in the spirit of of giving Seattle some help, where the Chargers fell short, the Lions certainly did not. Um, and winning 20 to 16 hours, or, you know, or, or, you know, one hour after finding out that they were no longer eligible to make the playoffs, they then helped the team that eliminated them, so to speak, in the Seahawks. And my doing some work is going to be Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson. And Ben Johnson has rolled the dice a little before. It was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when he called a fourth down pass play to right tackle Panay Sewell. Saw it. And it, yep. and, it, and it ended the game. And in this one, after a holding penalty, he calls like a line of scrimmage oh, hook and ladder. Oh, God. <laughs> that looked three different times to be ready to just blow up in their faces and return for a fumble you know, scoop and score for six points in the Packers game winning touchdown. Instead, it sets them up uh, for ultimately was a fourth down conversion. They take a couple of knees. 
give Ben Johnson a ton of credit, give Dan Campbell a ton of credit, give that entire Lions roster a ton of credit because all of them were doing some work and deserve very, very uh, kind thoughts and well wishes from everyone in Seattle. Do me a favor. No disrespect intended. Don't gloss over the fourth. And sh- you said they, they got a fourth. They went for it on fourth and down fourth down when three sure. point when three, not only they go for it when three points gives them the seven point lead, they throw the ball on fourth and a yard. Right. I mean, they just, well, it was a, brilliant. A lot of people it would say brilliant. they didn't have anything to play for. So you can, yeah, yeah, they were, they were playing footloose and fancy free, but man, those were some ballsy plays. I, I concur with everything that you said. I echo everything that you said. Great taco time doing some work. Um, nominee this week from Joe Fan in Las Vegas. Brady. I'm sending in some Mexi fries to Detroit. No, you're not. Some Mexi tots. No, Sorry. you're not. Yeah, I am. You're sending tater fries to Detroit. Brady. Mexi tots going to Ford Field. Brady, you're up. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I second that. We were watching that in the press box at Lumen Field. And that, uh, whatever that play was that oh, Joe mentioned, that was, God. that had to be from the section of Ben Johnson's play sheet titled YOLO, uh, because that was, that was remarkable. But I, I'm going to give you, Mitch, that a, means you only live once. Yeah, that means Just you only for, live once. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to give welcome. you a quick, a quick bonus one because I know you're not going to take this, but uh, my guy, Paul Wayne, okay, not to be confused with Paul Wall, but Paul Wayne performed the national anthem uh, before the Titans Jaguars game on ESPN uh, with an electric guitar. And my man crushed it. I just want to say we need more electric guitar <laughs> renditions of the sparse. <laughs> when do you get to band. play the national anthem at Lumen field? Nobody, nobody needs that. Uh, that's a Friday, Saturday night thing. You got to get a couple beers in me. That's not how about at it. the beginning of the, uh, for patrons, no table this week before the 49ers Seahawks game. Why don't you kick off our no, no table with your, guitar version of the national uh, I'll write I'll write I won't do the star spangled banner I'll give you some uh no table theme music no I didn't say I that. want who said that we wanted that okay all right I do star I want that <laughs> I want that no I don't anyway national anthem anyways I, I'm not gonna pick uh, a doing work from this game I'm gonna go big picture here and and go with John Schneider and his scouting department yeah, I saw and, that tweet yeah. yeah. And I mean, I know that there's, there's other good candidates and Howie Roseman is probably right up there too, but I, I think John Schneider has a really strong case and he, and in my mind, he should win the NFL executive of the year award. And, and again, look at big picture here. He had the foresight and the balls to trade his franchise quarterback at 33 years old, realizing that Russell Wilson was in decline, uh, then negotiated a hell of a deal that, you know, granted, it's a lot better than he probably thought it was going to be, but that was still a hell of a deal to get two firsts, two seconds, and three players, uh, and then put together one of the strongest draft class that we've seen in a while with six, you know, regular contributors. They could have the offensive and or the defensive uh, rookie of the year with Ken Walker the third and Tariq Wolin. So, um, look, I, I know, you know, we talk about the, some of the shortcomings in their roster building. There have been some. Their defensive line needs a whole lot of work. Linebacker needs a whole lot of work. Uh, there's spots where, you know, they, they could have done better. But by and large, this was an excellent season for John Schneider and his scouting department. And uh, those guys were doing some big time work. Which leaves me to go off the board. And I don't know that I have an individual, but I've got a team. And Joey Fan, Skyler? no, Joey Fan in Las Vegas, 
is going to agree with every single word I'm about to utter. Because for 18 weeks, for 17 weeks and six days, the Houston Texans did a great (laughs) job of putting themselves in position to have the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And then they get to the last game. All you need is one pin, Roddy. All you need to do is lose the last game. And they find a way on the road to not only come back to tie with 50 seconds to go, the Indianapolis Colts. Did they not go for a two-point conversion and convert it to it? They cost themselves the number one overall pick in the draft after they worked so hard all year to get it by screwing it up and scoring a touchdown and a two-point conversion at the end of Sunday's game against the Colts, showing us all there's no tanking. What's the word tanking mean in Houston? No tanking in Houston. We're going to win the football game and give up their choice of all the quarterbacks. And they, Now, as it turns out, and Joe will point out, Chicago probably doesn't want a quarterback. But, but ladies and gentlemen, will Chicago not be selling that draft choice to somebody who wants a quarterback? Is it possible that Houston's going to watch somebody jump up in the draft with Chicago and steal the quarterback? They would have gotten them. All they had to do, Joe, was miss the two-point conversion in the 17th game with 50 seconds to go, and they couldn't even do that. The yeah, but the beauty so. of it, the beauty <laughs> of it is who was doing work? Lovey Smith was doing work. <laughs> All right. Who got fired the same day his team won the game? Didn't as even a wait second, till Monday. <laughs> as a second straight one and done. You, I could guarantee everyone in that front office is upset with him, and he goes out double birds. You enjoy that win, <laughs> you mother. You know what? And good uh, for him because it was a sham hire when he got hired. It's a sham firing. It's embarrassing for the organization. It's embarrassing for the league, in my opinion. And so I love it for Lovey and those players. And, you know, it is. It's we're This is a rabbit hole. We don't need to go down today. But I, I guarantee you, as this Brian Flores lawsuit rolls on, that is going to be brought up. And there is some validity to it because how on earth can you fire a dude with that team after one year after firing your last head coach after one year. And they were competitive for the last month. Plus they almost beat the Cowboys. They almost beat the chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. So good for lovey Smith. I'm sending lovey Smith some Mexi tots. No, you're not. You're sending them tater fries and don't you forget it. That's the Seahawks. No table. We'll be back. I didn't know that we were going to be back, but we're going to be back for at least one or two more. As the Seahawks get ready for a trip to Sanford, as Brady Henderson shakes his head and realizes (laughs) he's going back to the Bay Area to do some work. Joe Fan, win bet in Las Vegas. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, fellas. And Brady Henderson, safe travels. Well, you won't be gone when we talk to you next. Get the guitar ready for the Friday edition of the No Table. Thank you, Brady. I'll be ready. Thanks, guys. Hey, it's the president of Zeke's Pizza back with us, Dan Black, joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. Happy New Year, Dan. I understand there was a 
an Alamo Bowl experience for the Black family. Yeah, Happy New Year, Mitch. Yeah, the the Black family had a intra-family grudge match going. <laughs> we had four Huskies against a Longhorn, so <laughs> the whole family went down, and luckily the good guys won. And uh, so now, whenever Tank makes us mad in the future, we're just going to tell him to remember the Alamo. <laughs> That's right. You got bragging rights. Start with 2022, if you wouldn't mind. Give us kind of a recap. Successful year, mixed year. How would you how would you term the last 12 months? Yeah, I think mixed is good. From a new restaurant opening standpoint, it was phenomenal. I think we opened six or seven new restaurants, and that's pretty easily a record for us. And so, you know, that momentum will continue into 2023 as well. You and most listeners probably know that you know, the restaurant industry is tough right now. COVID in particular changed the world a lot, changed the nature of the workplace and basic operations for restaurants right now are challenging. And, you know, we certainly experience plenty of that at Zeke's. And so that's actually a big focus of us going into 2023 is, is operational, but we had challenges. We opened a lot of restaurants and so there's a lot of good with some bad. So tell us more about 2023, what we can expect from Zeke's. Yeah, the momentum will continue on the new restaurant openings. We actually have a deal done in Eagle, Idaho, which is a, on the outskirts of Boise, really great suburb of Boise. And so that's on track to open in March. Uh, we continue to work on Portland and in Oregon. And so, you know, I think we're on the precipice of we're definitely the Northwest pizza brand. We're now geographically about to achieve that, mm -hmm. which is super exciting. But then we're also focused on we just launched a new technology platform. And so, you know, oh. ordering from Zeke's has been a little clunky for the past year or so as we made the transition. We're now coming out of that. So the customer experience in terms of ordering on our new app and online and stuff is on the verge of being better than it's ever been. And so that'll be that'll be fun in 2023. Beautiful. Before you go, people ask me all the time, Dan, what about the area, let's say, south of Tequila and north of Tacoma, that region? What do you have planned for that region? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, right now, White Center kind of anchors that part down there on the south. But we are going to open Renton in 2023, which is going to be great. We have Burien under contract as well. I think that's probably more like 18 to 24 months out. So right. it's starting to fill in. But then, you know, kind of south of White Center to Tacoma is an important strategic area for us. And so we're actively looking for franchise partners there as well. Beautiful. Exciting things coming from Zeke's. And of course, we'll be by their side every step of the way. Zeke's Pizza, a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I'm Bruce Campbell, and you're inside the cockpit area of my 727 home. I can appreciate that some folks might feel a bit isolated or that it might simply strike them as an unusual living environment. But for me, it's always felt completely natural. I'm a bit embarrassed that I wasn't aware of this next guest and his story, because it seems like I'm the last person in the world to know about Hillsboro, Oregon resident Bruce Campbell. I read about him a couple of weeks ago on CNBC, and when I tell you that Bruce lives on a plane, you might connect it with all the airline strife that you've been experiencing and reading about. But no, the dude lives on a Boeing 727 in the middle of the forest. I'm not kidding. And he's been doing so for a long time. Here he is, Bruce Campbell. Bruce, welcome to Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> Hi, Mitch. You know, glad to be here. <laughs> well, my God, the trials and tribulations 
of attempting to connect with Bruce something out of the 1950s. No cell service, no good Wi-Fi. He's like the guy from Green Acres that climbs the pole <laughs> to make a phone call. Do you remember Green Acres, the television show? I do, um, although the one I'm most fond of, that was a cute show, very charming, and <laughs> they were both great. I can't remember the lead actor. Both great, though, but Good Neighbors is one of my favorites, and it's sort of a similar situation. Okay. Well, it's like trying to reach a guy from a different planet. Here we are. Tell everybody, as you speak to me on Mitch Unfiltered, where are you sitting? <laughs> uh, well, at the moment, I'm standing. I'm on my right wing. I'm outside because <laughs> cell phone reception inside is awful due to the aircraft. It's her day cage. Oh, gosh. All right, go from the beginning. 15 years old, you're watching a TV show or you're watching something on TV, and what did you see? There was an aviation-related accident. I was living in the Denver, Colorado area, Aurora, suburb of Denver. At the time, and some aviation accident was covered on the news. I was sitting in the carpet and watching the TV and, and uh, seeing the news coverage of the event. And during the course of the news coverage, they showed a video of the boneyards. I'd never seen a video of the Boneyards before. I've been around aviation since my first breath, but I just wasn't aware of the Boneyards. I was amazed. <laughs> Aircraft parked fuselage to wingtip as tightly as they could be packed for as long as they were, as far as the eye could see. And it was just amazing to me. And I had a swing set in the backyard, and I thought, oh, lame, I want one of those. Nobody's using them. Why not? Mm. So that stuck. Now, um, the image still was very important to me. And so you thought, geez, it might, it might be nice to live on a plane someday. You're an electrical engineer who in the 1970s bought a piece of land outside of Hillsboro, Oregon, out in the middle of nowhere. Talk about that. Yes. Well, um, the idea was to develop equity. I was young and had started working out of college and trying to establish the foundation for my life. So uh, land is good equity. My father said, Bruce, buy land. They can drop a bomb on it. You still own the crater. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought land. But I didn't build a home on the land because I didn't want it to be trapped in a working life. I had an inexpensive mobile home, which I'd paid for with cash. And ultimately, I moved that mobile home onto the property. And instead of buying a permanent home or building a permanent home, um, I saved and invested and saved and invested and saved and invested and saved and invested, saved and invested. And eventually I had enough cash for, for a home to purchase with cash. At that time, I was a more seasoned engineer. Earlier in life, I would have looked out and said, well, Alphonse and Mary and George, Ed and Jane, they live in those things. I guess I should buy one of those things. Instead, what's the finest materials and fabrication technology I can get for my buck? And aerospace technology is the clear by a wide margin. So it was pretty simple. It was an engineering decision. The best materials, the best fabrication technology available. And they were indeed available because the boneyards are out there. And I knew that the, that the jetliners were available. So how does one go about, when did you do it? And how does one go about buying an airplane, an aircraft? Um, I started in 1998. And... I partnered with a salvage company, and that was a big mistake. Don't do that. Nobody, everybody out there, don't do that. That was a terrible mistake. I'll never do it again, and I highly recommend that you avoid that because you're a home shopper. You're shopping for a home. 
They're wrecking companies. If you buy a home from them, you're buying a home from a home wrecking company. <laughs> you have a conflict of interest, which is inherent. You can't resolve it. Just bypass salvage companies and, um, and buy a fully intact, fully operational jetliner. That's what we'll do with the version 2.0 project if I can proceed with it. The end result will be fully intact, fully operational jetliner instead of a wrecked jetliner, which is what I ended up with in this case. I love my jetliner, but um, it wasn't the right way to execute this project. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I partnered with a salvage company. They flew the aircraft from Athens International Airport in Greece to Hillsborough Airport, now about 20 kilometers away. And it landed there. We towed it across an adjacent road to adjacent property where heavy work could be performed. And then the salvage company did their thing. They removed the engines, the APU, actuators of all kinds, avionics, electronics, infrastructure everywhere. And it was a brutal process because, after all, they're wreckers. That's their gig. That's what they do. They destroy things. That's why it was a terrible partnership concept. Once they finished, my team and I cut the wings off, and we cut the tail off just slightly below the top line of the fuselage, mechanically separated the stabilator section from the vertical section. Those four components were loaded on the flatbed trailers. For the fuselage, we were still just a tad too long for our route, but just a little bit. So we removed the radome. That was quick and easy and non-destructive and reduced the length by about a meter. Not much, but it was enough. It got us over the threshold. Retracted all three landing gear, lowered the fuselage onto house-moving dollies, which are short but strong and steerable, a critical advantage we required. And then by towing, fished our way through a very, very carefully planned route through downtown Hillsboro with just <laughs> centimeters to spare. <laughs> And south on Highway 219, a country oh. highway between Hillsborough and here, onto my neighbor's property, who were very kind to allow the transit. And then through a path, cut in my forest for the final leg and started reassembling. My God. I don't recommend that strategy for uh, anyone else, and, and, not, and I won't do it either. I, when I purchased this property, I didn't have the jetliner vision in mind. And so I already had the property. I was sort of stuck with the logistics here. But... Uh, they're much better options. Um, buy a piece of land next to a big ranch or a big farm. Get to know your neighbors. Make a deal with your neighbors. Help them buy a tractor in exchange for use of one of a section of their property for one day. Then just fly the aircraft to their property and then tow or taxi it to your little two acres or more nearby. And then everything's intact, healthy, much cheaper, easier, safer, quicker, and better for the aircraft. Huh. Bruce, you're talking to our audience as if there are hundreds or thousands of people waiting to buy an aircraft to become their home. Are you aware of anybody else in the world that's done this? Are you the only one? Yes. Oh, who? No, uh, there have been two others, Joanne Ustri, and there was another fellow, Red Lane. Uh, Joanne Ustri's aircraft, unfortunately, was evidently totaled in a moving, a secondary moving accident, which was really a shame. She was fun. She was sociable and, and, and did lots of press, and she was just a kick. Um, but she lost her aircraft when a mistake was made during, her, during a secondary move, which was really a tragedy for both the vision and for her personally and, and all her fans. Red Lane was more of a recluse, as best I understand him, but he started coming out of his shell finally and did a press piece. And then within a year, he was dead of cancer, which, you know, tragic, too. So how much how much does it cost to buy a plane and to remodel it into a home and place it on a 
piece of land in the forest. How much did the whole project cost you, Bruce? Well, I wasn't very efficient, um, and I spent about $220,000 for the whole ball of wax, excluding the land. Yeah. Um, but a good deal of it was waste, and another good deal of it was fraud. I wasn't prepared to defend myself or, or, or see some of the damage coming. Mm. Um, but um, I don't want to uh, denigrate most of the people. Most of them were aces, truly. They were great. They gave me perfect value for my money and then some, and they were very skilled at what they did. But there was a little bit of poison in the soup, alas. I know that it's not necessary to spend that kind of money for this sort of a project anymore. Narrow-body jetliners like mine are available for as little as $35,000, fully intact, fully operational, except engines. But you can lease or buy engines. And you can go up to Castle Class, uh, like a 747-400, for about a million dollars. Again, fully intact, fully operational, except engines. So tell me about the inside of your airplane, where you live day to day, bathrooms, showers, kitchens, heat. I saw a picture of you, Bruce. You look frozen, for God's sake, standing in the, in the aircraft. <laughs> well, it's cold. Um, Greta's right. Our house is on fire, and I prefer to use money for other things, so I just tolerate it. And that is one, the only performance metric of jetliners which will leave people a bit disappointed because even though the insulation is very high quality, sewn into custom parkas, which are individually designed for their own little alcove, it's thin. Um, It's passenger space. The trade of the design and performance trade-offs are different for jetliners than they are for homes. So um, watch out for that. If if you live in a jetliner home, you'll have less insulation performance than you would in a standard home. How cold are you night to night during the winter? Yeah, it's typically about zero. <laughs> zero what? degrees. Uh, well, zero degrees centigrade. Yeah, in Oregon, it's, it just sort of hovers around that temperature a good portion of the year. How do you live and how do you sleep in freezing temperatures? And I, I haven't even given them the kicker to the story. You're a guy that doesn't like to wear clothes very often, Bruce. <laughs> I, I, I look at it as a utilitarian thing. If I need them, I put them on. If I don't need them, why bother? My God, <laughs> so, how do you do? How do you live night to night in a in an aircraft that's zero degrees Celsius? Explain that to. How do you do that? Well, I do outdoor things and physical things during the summer, during the fair weather seasons. And during the winter, I do cyber things. So basically, I just cower under an electric blanket with a space heater at my side when I need it, but mostly the electric blanket because it's economical and and energy conservative, and work on my computer. And during the winter, um, I I keep warm under the electric blanket and just pound on the keys and the trackpad. Bruce, I have to ask this question. I hope you won't take offense. It's all very fascinating. But who does this? Are you just a creative, quirky, free spirit, 73-year-old guy? Or I don't know, is there, would you call it as an electrical engineer, maybe there's a wiring issue with you somewhere along the line? Well, I'm sure there is. <laughs> it's an interesting study. Um, and uh, I certainly don't take offense. You'll, you'll have to work much harder at that if you're trying to offend me. Um, it's, you know, it's exploratory and there, there was an interesting experiment run by the fellow, oh God, Carnegie Mellon University. I can't remember the researcher's name. It was a very simple experiment, but nonetheless, evidently it had not been done before. Mice were challenged with a maze 
And he challenged mice of different ages uh, in, from pre-adolescence to post-adolescence. The pre-adolescent mice were able to solve the maze much more quickly than the post-adolescent mice. And my sense is that for creatures like us, we use our youth to explore very bravely and dangerously because we must. We've got to learn where the food is, where the dangers are, where the resources uh, are. Uh And if we don't explore boldly, we won't find those things. We won't have survival skills that we need later when times are lean. Mm -hmm. However, once you've discovered all those things, well, once you've figured out how to wrestle with your, with your sibling and all the things you have to learn in order to be a viable, survivable creature, then you should back off a bit because if you continue to explore very boldly, you're taking risks, which may reduce your, your um, ability to procreate. So in my estimation, although this is just a personal theory, post-adolescence inclination is to explore less. And I always thought that was a mistake for a technical species because we have um, an ability to explore all our lives and, and we should exercise it. We should just do anything we can, which we can return from safely. I should point out to everybody that airplanehome.com, you can see more about Bruce. And he's got people from all over the world coming to visit him. I see people climbing out onto the wings. Did I see something about a man getting hurt? Out on your wing yes. a couple of months ago, you got people coming to visit you. I hope you're clothed at the time. <laughs> Usually I am, <laughs> although I have some naturist friends too. And oh, okay. That's another story. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you know, all ranks come here, and they're all like family to me. And the fellow who got hurt is—that's a very painful incident because he was hurt quite badly. And I, you know, I'm in an, an odd situation because I'm not anybody's nanny. I want people to do whatever they want to do. Uh, I do give people safety instructions and I warn them that there are things here you could do, which could kill you. But nonetheless, uh, most people manage to survive. Yeah. Um, however, late last November, a fellow fell and, and he was hurt quite badly. And I feel uh-huh. terrible. He's such a sweet guy too. He and his entire group were completely sweet and charming. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, it's sad. Mm. How much does this cost you month to month? I wouldn't imagine there's a lot. There's got to be a property tax involved. But what else? What what are the what is this lifestyle living in zero degrees Celsius and sleeping freezing cold in an airplane in a forest in Hillsboro? What is what kind of a what kind of a lifestyle is that? It's pretty cheap. Um, I have a well on my site, 70 meters deep. And water is beautiful and plentiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only services I receive are my cell phone signal and electricity. So property tax is the first expense, also known as rent. It's too bad you can't own property in this country, but you can't. Power is, is the next, and food is somewhat under that. Not much more. You can live very cheaply. What does it cost? What does it have, cost you each month? Um, electricity is about 100 bucks a month during the summer yeah. and about twice or two and a half times that during the winter. And food is in the neighborhood of 75 or $100 a month. Cell phone is 10 bucks a month. <laughs> Property taxes, 250-ish. Yeah, about 200, $240, $250 a month currently and rising every year, of course. Bruce, there are people listening to this right now screaming at their phones and their podcasts. Mitch, you've buried the lead, Mitch. You haven't asked him the most important question, so let me go ahead and ask it. <laughs> okay. The girlfriend in Japan. How does the girlfriend feel about coming to visit her guy 
in a plane <laughs> in the forest in Hillsboro, Oregon? That's the real question. <laughs> well, she's not the biggest fan of the project, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> And I don't know how to rank them uh, as very dangerous to put words in another person's mouth, even if you know them very, very well. Um, but uh, America is not something she's terribly fond of. And um, the aircraft is just not her style. I'd, I'd love her dearly, but um, it's just not the kind of vision which she embraces tightly. Okay. Now I'm going to put my helmet on for the last question because I don't know that I'm quite prepared for the answer. <laughs> But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my crash helmet on and go ahead and ask, because you've mentioned it a couple of times. Dare I ask you, what is version 2.0? Is there another one of these coming? Are you doing this in Japan? What, what's next for 73-year-old free spirit and very chilly Bruce Campbell? I want to know. <laughs> well, I hope so. Right now, that project is on hold. And uh, I hope to be able to resume it next summer. But we'll see. I have to solve a problem in America, which is unrelated, but it's in my way. And if I can, then we'll proceed. It's a bit of a different vision. Our team wants to create a project which is so compelling and so beautiful that anyone who sees it will be instantly sold on the vision. What is it? And we think we can achieve that. What is it? Well, the aircraft itself is 747-400, and it'll be flown directly to an airport, which is within clear towing distance of the site. So it'll simply land, be towed to the site, and then possibly the engines removed, but we hope that we can obtain retirement engines for the last ferry flight. If we can, we'll retain those and just retain her in fully operational condition and make it nice. That is, leave everything intact, everything functional. That one will be beautiful and gorgeous inside, whereas my current aircraft is pretty chopped up and it's a nerd cave. Where is it going? If it happens. Yeah, Shintomi Cho. It's a, a small country sort of alcove uh, in Japan. It's a little bit west of Miyazaki, which is where I live now. Really nice place. Wow. Bruce, I don't know what to say except for Happy New Year. And I've been interviewing people for a long time. Different projects, different uh, tendencies, different loves. And this one is completely different. I, I, I love your passion. Well, thank you. I'm honored. And, um, and you're a great interview, too. <laughs> this is a wonderful conversation. Charming and energetic. <laughs> I'm at your disposal anytime. Uh, when I get to Portland next, how far from Portland to come visit you outside of Hillsboro? What would it take me? Uh, in clear traffic, about 45 minutes. Otherwise, longer, maybe an hour is more normal. All right. You and I are going to meet if you promise that you'll be wearing clothes at the time of my arrival. That's all I ask. <laughs> Will do, as long as I know it's you coming. Otherwise, I'll tuck behind the door and then check to see what the situation uh, is. <laughs> and when I get there, I want to climb that telephone pole like Green Acres and make a call out and see if I can contact the real world from your force. Ladies and gentlemen, nah. Bruce Campbell outside of Hillsboro in a Boeing 727 in the middle of the forest, and he's ice cold, but he's thrilled to talk to us on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Bruce. Happy New Year to you. My pleasure. Happy New Year to you and all your audience uh, members and may life proceed in the most optimum manner possible for the next year and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, guess who's joining us? Well, typically, I would call him Jordan Flowers, J-Flow, 
of the Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage, but that's no longer correct, right, Jordan? That's right. We've officially moved and are in our new office space here in Woodenville, Washington, downtown, oh, right boy. next to our great partners at Zeke's Pizza. You got to go there three times a week for lunch. Now, how am I going to get used to saying the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. How many times am I going to make that mistake? And how many times <laughs> am I going to hear from you? Mitch, you keep calling us the Kirkland office. I've got the over underline at plus or minus 10, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Interest rates have been a, a topic of conversation around the country, around the world, kind of like butterflies these days. What are you seeing? Yeah, we, we've made it through this year's highs. We've been seeing rates coming down over the last month and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are sitting still at elevated levels, but they are down a solid half to three quarters percent interest getting back into the sixes. And with all of our buyers, we are working with them to get them into the three, four or five percent range right now. Speak to us specifically. How do you guys do that at Cross Country Mortgage? Yeah, it's a it's a program that's come back into the market. Really, it's a temporary buy down option where we're working with the sellers, getting them the sales price that they've been coming on at and getting credits for our buyers to help temporarily buy that rate down for the first year, second year, third year to get that payment down until they're ready to refinance into a long-term 30-year fix at that no rate. And before we finish up, I got to say thank you from all of our listeners. I think everybody knows by now that Jordan Flowers of Cross Country Mortgage gave away, I think close to 100, maybe a little less, tickets to Mitch Unfiltered fans for the stretch run of the Seattle Mariners season. That was incredibly kind of you, and it was great to get some unfiltered listeners who wouldn't ordinarily be at the last homestand to be there with you and Cross Country Mortgage. Mitch, that was so fun to do and partner with you on. And you're texting me like, email these people tickets, do this. Why haven't you emailed these people yet? It was like, it was just chaos. It was a frenzy. It was so fun to be a part of with that. So thank you for everybody for participating in that. And next year, we'll do more and they'll go further. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Jordan Flowers now of the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Reach him directly. 425-890-2957. What a great partner. What a great sponsor for years now of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Okay, episode 222, Hotshot Scott. Mitch Unfiltered. Write all of your complaints. Courtesy of Eric Ryan to (laughs) Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. And remember... No more Uber ratings. I don't need to see any more of your rider Uber ratings. You're good. I get it. Everybody's good. Everybody's great. Everybody's got a much bigger number than 4.74. I got it. Next week, we'll do lift ratings, and we'll see where you are. You want to kick off other stuff? A guy passed out in the bushes outside the Milwaukee Brewers Stadium after a game, and upon awakening, entered the team's clubhouse by yanking on a door, just was able to get in. He stole electronics, a credit card, team memorabilia, and other items, according to a criminal complaint. He also stole some stuff from the manager. He was just helping himself to whatever he wanted. He got a 45-year anniversary 1982 signed bat, a replica World Series <laughs> ring, and keys to the team's Arizona Spring Training facility. We're stalling from... This was during a game, like back in baseball season? Well, he passed out during the game, and he's just in the bushes. He wakes up at like 3 a.m. and decides to just oh, go but in. But this has got to be an old story. They haven't played baseball in months. Well, the problem is, is we just found out that he was... Oh, busted and oh, this story is okay. just now coming I out got it. but i got it yeah he just he, he was arrested okay. after all but god just 
Is that your first thought when you wake up from being passed out for five hours to go <laughs> rampaging through the so. clubhouse and steal shit? I guess so. Yeah, Craig Council's office got pummeled. Oh, yeah, and, uh, Council, you sure. betcha. Yeah, sure. So. I don't want to spend too much time on this because by the time people listen to this podcast, it might be over. But uh, who are you rooting for, TCU or Georgia? On the day that this episode 222 comes out, national championship. That's happening. Night Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> football. Who do you like? Are you rooting for the underdog? Or are you rooting for the big, uh, the big cheese, Georgia? Who would ever root for Georgia outside of Georgia? I'm going to give you a reason to root for Georgia outside of Georgia. I do like their mascot. That's not the reason. Okay, he's very cute. Are you rooting for TCU? Of course. Can I change your mind? Sure. I have no real skin in the game. But do I'm, you I'm, like Mattress Mac or do you think oh, he's an idiot? Oh, that's right. Mattress Mac. Do you I, know about Mattress Mac and the bet on this game? Not this game, no. Well, he's already won a bunch of money on the Houston Astros. He sure has. He was once on Mitch Unfiltered. Didn't yep. like him much. Um, he's placed a $1.5 million bet on TCU on the money line, not taking the 13.5 or 12.5 points. Yeah. So they got to win the game straight up. Yep. If they do, his $1.5 million becomes $5.55 million. He got 370 plus 370 odds wherever he bet it. Yeah. So if you're looking for a reason to root for Georgia, <laughs> if you'd like to see Mattress Mac from Houston take a little hit, if you think he's got one coming to him, you're rooting for Georgia on Monday night in the national championship game. How could anyone want with Georgia to win, though? If you have no skin, you know, if you don't care at all, just Georgia, yeah, yeah. We, we need it's them easy. winning one. Yeah. I mean, they won last year. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. we, we need them winning another one. Like, come yeah. on. It's yeah. Georgia. It's SEC. Like, yeah. But this it, is probably enough for me to root for Georgia. <laughs> I don't like Mattress Mac. <laughs> yeah. The Seattle Mariners have a new left fielder. He is A.J. Pollock, 35 year old former All Star. He starred in Arizona before he went off to the Dodgers and. Played last year for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. They signed him to a one-year, $7 million deal. He's going to play left field, although he's older. Long in the tooth, as they like to say. Yeah, long in the tooth. Where does that come from? 11 years. Don't know. 11 years. He's a career 276 hitter. He hit 245 last year, 35 years old. The one thing that they say he still does very, very well is he hits left-handed pitching very okay, well. Good. Last year, in his worst year, he hit 286 against lefties with 11 home runs in 125 at-bats. So one home run every 11 at-bats Wow! against left-handed hitting. Okay. If you want to know that that's kind of a, like a 45-50 home run year yeah. if, that, if you, you know, did the math on that. Extrapolate it out. Right. Yeah. So I think what the Seattle Mariners are trying to hope for is that maybe Koenig will pop a little bit. Yeah. And that he'll, he'll bat left-handed against right-handed pitchers. Yeah. And then Pollock will... Hit right-handed against left-handed pitchers, and maybe they'll have a platoon situation in left field. I don't know if you can if you can count on Kelnick at all. They've got Tramel. They've got. I was uh, wondering why they went out and needed a 34-year-old. I'm glad you explained it to me what the purpose was. They've of that. got Dylan Moore. They've got Haggerty. They've got yeah. a couple of like uh, light-hitting left fielders, but they're bringing in AJ Pollock and taking a a chance, taking a flyer right. on him at 35 years old, late in his career. Long on the tooth, I think, is a horse thing. I think yeah, it comes probably. From, is that, is that, is that well, right? I know. I know. Don't look. A, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. I know that one. But where does that come from? What the oh, hell does that mean? Oh, you know that that comes from. That's an easy one. It is. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. If somebody gives you a horse, correct. Don't start analyzing it because horses traditionally have bad teeth. Yeah, yeah. So you don't want to. 
you don't ruin want, this gift. You don't want to yeah. concentrate on the that's right. The yeah, teeth yeah, yeah. when you've been given a gift horse. Quick update on your buddy Ron Jeremy. Yeah, I'll kind of him. a weird, sad. And end he is to a, a buddy. He's a buddy. We've had dinner many times. Yeah, you don't want to say that after the what he's Uh-oh. been accused of. Uh-oh. But you know, he's I don't know. Well, he's there's a lot. There's dozens of counts of sexual assault, including you know. Right. So he's reportedly unfit to stand trial. Oh. Because prosecutors have found he's suffering from clinical memory loss. Now, according to the L.A. Times, the former. By the way, are they always porn stars? Are any of them just actors? They're all stars? They're always called porn stars. Are there character actors? Anyway, he's believed to have severe dementia, a diagnosis reached after consultations from medical experts. Now, of course, the victims are calling it justice eluded, mm-hmm. but both sides came together and said they don't think he's faking it and he can't. He'll just... How old of a guy is he? I don't know. He's just going to... He's not a friend. I'm just... I was just of joking. course, I know. He's going to die in some, some mental hospital and yeah. that'll be that and just yeah. a sad bizarre tragic end of a bizarre life life. right i mean god it's so weird but yeah i feel sorry for the victims who will never get any justice according to them poor dick vital uh-oh did you see what happened to dickie v no do you like dickie v i'm in the bag for him i know he bugs people doesn't bug me i he just reminds me of high school middle school just every big game outside of the tournament was him. Helped I just revolutionize college basketball. Yeah, Helped turn right. college basketball into the product that it is, whether you like him or not. But poor Dickie V, you got to take a little shot okay. at Dickie V. He tweeted on Thursday night, emphasis Thursday night, this past Thursday night. Okay. He tweeted the following. In an important NFL matchup, the Lions lead the Packers 15-6 to early in the fourth quarter. Aaron Rodgers has thrown interceptions in the red zone, and the Lions' D has been super, tweeted Dick Vitale. He was watching a replay of the NFL Network of the last time the Lions played the Packers, oh, no. and he didn't realize it was a replay. He thought it was the game that was on Sunday oh, night. Oh, no. And he's tweeting play-by-play and his observations of the game. Since when does he do that on Twitter? Does he do it all the time? We need his NFL observations. I mean, I have to admit, I've, I've been tricked before. Oh, sure. Watching a, but then now it just says re re air. Yeah. But I've definitely been tricked in the past with that. Yeah. And then I say to myself, well, wait a second. It's three (laughs) o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Right. How can they be playing at three o'clock in the morning? And it's light outside where they're playing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to be. Come on, Dickie V. Come on, Dickie. Dickie V is is tweeting some thoughts on the Lions Packers game that was going on Thursday night, except it was 10 weeks earlier. Oh, that's funny. Uh, Poor fella. And by the way, he took it in great stride. Like everything. He took it in great stride. He's like, oh, I was, I was, I was duped. (laughs) I was duped. I was duped, baby. (laughs) I fell for it, baby. You had him on when you did your uh, little nickel and dime radio show. Did you ever have him on? Many times. You did? Yeah. yeah. Was he always good on the air? He was great to me. He was great to me as a student at Syracuse. He used to come over and say hello as a student. Oh, really? Yeah. I'd known him forever. God, yeah, a... yeah. I could show you some of the the nice notes he's written me some notes. Oh, and so great! Very nice. Send me books and I look at Vital the way I look at Keith Jackson. Just they could yeah, do no wrong. I love their voice. I love you know. It's just a big yeah. part of my yeah sports watching. Anyway, I love Vital. All right, the mastermind and architect behind the college admission scandal that's still going on. Correct. He's going to end up like Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman by spending time behind bars. Remember Rick Singer? Sure. Sentenced to forty two months. 
Three and a half years in federal prison for his yep. role in the Varsity Blues scandal. More than 50 parents, coaches, and associates of singers received sentences ranging from 30 months in prison to just probation. Now, this guy actually, he wore a wire. He was supposed to get like 65 years behind bars. 65 years or 65 months? No, no. He was initially staring down a maximum sentence of 65, 65 years behind years. bars. Yeah. Because he was involved in all of them. All of them. So you just yeah, started... they were they were paying him off Wait. to create these yeah so fake portfolio times 50 like it's yeah. gonna add up yeah, yeah. But, but he ended up wearing a wire yeah. and he busted yeah. you know he ratted some people out so yeah. anyway he will be going to prison as well along with we talked about the real housewife of salt lake star jen shaw now her her husband coaches football at utah oh and we, i told you about it once he probably blocked it out kind of like you're doing now but she was no, arrested not, back, back in 2021 for god's sake she was targeting and scamming folks out of their money with an alleged telemarketing scheme i still need someone to tell me exactly what she was doing i don't get how she made all this money but she initially pled not guilty with her lawyer saying she was totally innocent well that all changed in july when she pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit oh, wire Jesus. fraud in connection and telemarketing was just sentenced to six and a half years oh my god in federal prison as well as Five years supervised release and millions of dollars in restitution. This is, oh yeah, and she was at the Rose Bowl supporting her husband. By the way, there was a picture <laughs> of her there, just living her life. Got to turn herself. Maybe in Maybe she February. was staying at my hotel. I was at the hotel in L.A., the official hotel of the Utah Utes. Oh, you were. Yeah, you probably walked right by her. You're four foot eleven. Did you check your your? No. Make sure you had your wallet. <laughs> she walked by. For Christ's sake, God, what a crazy uh, story, man. But I, we watched this. It's a you know, it's the Real Housewives. It's shit never, TV, I've but never I love seen it. Seen any of them? But literally, they, never seen one episode of any of them. They would show the house she lives in. Yeah. And you would think LeBron James lived there, really? or like Shaq, like. And I'm thinking to myself, so now I'm looking up because it's all, he's a state employee. You can see what he makes. Yeah. He makes like four fifteen a year. It's good money, right? Is he like a coordinator? Or like he's not I, a coach? I don't know staff? what coach yeah. he is, but yeah. he's been there for a while. Coach yeah. Shaw. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's good money. But that house, <laughs> it looked like a goddamn lodge at Suncadia or something. Like, no. Uh, you know how like your spidey senses go off? You're like, no, no, and no. I don't know what uh, they're doing. But anyway, she's going to prison for all it. All right, I got a flurry for you. Okay. Congratulations to the University of Washington and all of its fans. You're one. Transfer portal edition. Alert. Oh, let's go. Dylan Johnson, Mississippi State, former Mike Leach running back. Okay. Six foot, 215 pound, former three-star running back out of high school. Love Five it. and a half yards a carry. He had three seasons in Mississippi State, had 1,200 yards. He caught 65 balls last year out of the Woo. backfield from the running back. Now, of course, running backs in Mike Leach's system need to catch the ball out of the backfield. Fine. He had 48 catches in 2022. He will be your next or one of your next running backs next year as the University of Washington starts out in the top 10 of college yes. football, okay? He's going to start, right? I mean, come on. And I figure if he's 25% of the last Dylan that played running back at the University of Washington. <laughs> yeah. Somebody <laughs> named Corey. He wasn't bad. Oh. He wasn't bad. Oh 274 God. yards in like one quarter against <laughs> San Jose State or something like Fresno or something like that. Cardinals coach Cliff Kingsbury, ever heard of him? Yeah, he says Kyler Murray probably won't be back for the starting uh, for the start of the 2023 season. Torn ACL, right knee. Ah. What we learned about this a long time ago is if you're going to tear your ACL in professional football, uh -huh. you do it early in the year because you're going to miss that year anyway. Right. But if you do it early in the year, you can come back and play next year. Right. If you do it late in the year, which is kind of like what he did with three or four games ago, yeah. you're probably going to miss next year. Here's a good one. Texas A&M Florida basketball. Okay. 
Texas A&M trailed before the opening tip the other night at Florida. Trivia question, stump the band. <laughs> All right. How is that possible? Great question. That Texas A&M trailed Florida in an SEC showdown in Gainesville in the swamp before the game started. I mean, I would if it was high school, I'd say maybe there's some dumb no dunking in warm-ups rule no. or something and you get Good idea, but no. How can you be down before the game starts? Before the game starts, they're down one nothing. One nothing. One nothing. No clue. Shortly after leaving the court following final warm-ups, the Aggies realized that managers had left their game jerseys at the team hotel. So they ran back to grab them, but officials hit them with a delay of game penalty because they had to delay the start of the game by seven minutes to get their jerseys, deeming it a technical foul. Oh the guy went to the line for Florida, swished the free throws, <laughs> and it was one nothing before the game actually started. Please tell me wait, who won. Texas A&M. Okay, all right. <laughs> they came back. God. They overcame <laughs> that the one nothing deficit. <laughs> Imagine they lose by one. That would have been shit. What a dumb rule. I'd like to know, since you're more hip than I That's am. That's very hip. Thank you for noticing. And you're all into taunting. What did you say? I'm into taunting. I like a good taunt. Sure, yeah. Except when you don't run the ball up the field yeah, like Andre Diggs. Yeah. So I'd like to know how you where you stand on this. A lot of people have been talking about Caleb Williams, the Heisman Trophy candidate. You know what he's been doing? You know what he's been up to? No. Well, late in the season, he started doing finger polish, finger painting, finger nail painting. Yeah, yeah. Do you know about this? A little bit, yeah. Because his mother did, does fingernails. Okay. And all of his, each game, he would paint his fingernails a message, and they were all obscene. Like he had F-U-C-K-U-T-A-H on one of them. For the, for gotcha. the Pac-12 yeah. championship game, Classy. he had F-U-C-K on one hand, gotcha. and he had U-T-A-H on the other hand. Yep. So... People are like, oh, come on. Yeah. Get a grip. You know, they're yelling and screaming at USC officials. I don't care if he's a Heisman Trophy. Is there really any need to that? Where did sportsmanship go? Yeah. Come on. He says, oh, it's all in good fun. So I ask you. Yeah. If he was your son or if he was your quarterback, if you were the coach, you played major division one college That's football. Sure did. Yeah. Thank you for noticing. Oh, geez. You sucked your lip up. <laughs> go ahead. What do you think? Are you okay with it? Just a, just a college kid being a college kid, or you think it's out of bounds, over the line? I think it's unnecessary for somebody as good as him. Yeah, I just I don't I don't think that's necessary. And of this course, is, it's not necessary. Well, to was, him it is. What do you mean? Of course, was it's the not. Pointing to him it is. at Bobby Wagner on Sunday <laughs> necessary? Oh uh, yeah, no, that, that, it wasn't. It you're wasn't talking about a guy who grew up loving the Boz, writing stuff on his cleats, and you know, writing uh, the Texas coaches. We name all know and, it's unnecessary. Yeah. Is it over the line? I don't think you need to write. F-U-C-K-U-T-A. Is it over the line? Would you tell him as this coach, Heisman Trophy quarterback, get rid of the pot. I don't want it. I don't want I don't want it. Sets a bad tone, sets a bad example, sends the wrong message of what we're all about. Would you would you do that? If it's my son, I'm telling him he should probably not do that. I don't okay. think it's a, if it's if I'm the coach, yes. I want him to be him. I don't want to stifle his individuality. Maybe that helps make him play better. I'm a little more Pete Carroll. Play loose, be who you are. Let Dennis Rodman be Dennis Rodman. He's going to play better okay. for you. So there's my answer. If I'm his coach, or if, if I'm, I'm his the dad. game official, yeah, and I see this during warmups, I give the other team a field goal attempt before we start the game, <laughs> and I if like he it. kicks it through from 42 yards, <laughs> yeah. USC's behind three nothing before we start the game. I got you. I'm in. You see your buddy John Morant's been sued. Oh. 
You yeah. see that? He he threw a punch at somebody. Oh, didn't he? a minor. Oh so no! Apparently he's got uh, alleged because I like John Moran. I don't want it to be. No, true. I like him too. He was allegedly involved in the attack tell of a minor. It, yeah. So tell apparently me. he had a. He's got probably. I'm guessing a nice house in Tennessee. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah, he's got a couple bucks. Yeah. And a big basketball court, and he has pickup games there. Yeah. I mean, he's a young guy. What is he? 21 or something? I mean, one of the preeminent stars oh, in the NBA, going to make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So back in July at his house, he had a pickup game going on. Now there was a 17 year old, the kid who filed the lawsuit, who told cops he was playing with Moran at the house when they got into a verbal altercation right. he throws the ball and hits morant in the face oh now, yeah i read this if you've okay. ever been hit in the face with yeah, a basketball yeah. intentionally it, it can make you go a little crazy and you want to punch the first person that you see even if they didn't have the ball in there that's right but Mar- so jaw walks over to him puts his chin on the guy's shoulder like you know oh yeah and then smacks him and says should i do it should i do it and then did smacks him and not only smacked him but when he hits How the ground 17 Hits the ground, and then his friends start still punching him and hitting him. Now, this kid says he meant to throw the ball, didn't mean to hit him in the face. It was a mistake. Anyway, he's being sued, but you cannot go around socking people when you have a lot to lose, John Morant. Now, if I'm his dad, I'm like, son, look, please, I'm begging you, don't throw your money away on stupid crap like this. But Mm. again, how old is he, Morant? I mean, he's not that far from 17, so it's like a peer to him. I would guess guess he's... You know, 22, 23 right, by now. And he's yeah. so young. Like that 24. It's like, oh, yeah. I just want to tell him, you yeah. got to be careful. We cannot go around punching people yeah. in the face. And don't have strangers over to play basketball because this is the sort of crap that can happen. I have three sets of prayers before I do RIPs. You want to do anything before I get to my prayers? Prayers? Yeah. Prayers what? going out to people for recoveries. Oh, I see what you're saying. I have three sets of prayers that I want to deliver. Well, Before I mean, I go to the RIP section, I was going to tell you about Leonardo DiCaprio recently ending his relationship with Camila Marone, but older or younger than the guy that uh, John Morant smacked. Well, <laughs> we'll never know, <laughs> but they were together go several years, but he's he's he was, dates really young girls. He was he? just seen spending time on a luxury yacht surrounded by a ton of women in bikinis. So apparently he's managed to move on from old Camilla in case you were worried that he'd be lonely these days. He appears to be recovering. And I've told you the story, maybe, breakup. maybe not about Leonard DeCap, one of his roles, recent roles in the last many years. He played a character that I know. Leonardo. Yeah. The Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, sure. That was yeah. really good. Yeah. Roommate of, of Jay Levy. Is that right? College. That guy? The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Wow. Jordan Belfort. Jordan Belfort. Yeah, yeah. I know the name. You do? Yeah. It was a good movie. You saw it or American no? Universe. Yeah. Of course. It was a story about a guy that I know. I know. But that doesn't mean lots of good movies no. whiz right by your head. If there's a story about a guy that <laughs> stayed in your house when you were a kid, when yeah. you came home from college with your brother, yeah. I think you go see it. Okay, fine. Yeah. You see who Aaron Rodgers is dating, apparently, allegedly? No. Mallory Edens. Well, there's plenty of time to go out this week with her. Do you know that's true? Ah, <laughs> yeah, see there what I go. There? I like it. That was an old man joke. Now, Mallory Edens is the daughter of Edens. Edens? Yes, the owner of the Milwaukee oh, Bucks. Twenty six years old. Yeah, is he the guy that wants to sell the Bucks? One of them wants to sell. I don't think it's him. I think it's his partner. Not sure. Wants to sell part of his. Yeah, wants to sell his stake in the Bucks. Well, she's twenty six and he's thirty nine. So there you go. Very good. Good for Matt. Are you a fan of Wait, what's his um, name? Aaron? Yeah, Matt. Matt Rogers. Have you Matt uh, Rogers played quarterback in Iowa? Sorry. Are you the? Are you the? Uh, <laughs> his dad was you, Jimmy Rogers. What was the auto rate? What's the? Um, what was her name? The race car driver that he dated for yeah. a long time. Um, running a blank. Uh, so am I. I mean, everyone should know her name. Come on. The biggest name in auto racing for women. Yes. Dated him for a long time. Danica Patrick. Danica. Danica Patrick. Yes, that's right. With, 
God. He's, he's, he's appeared, uh, apparently moved on. And when Pat O'Day used to do the scouting reports for us on the, on the uh, bigger dance, we, he came in and he recorded a bunch of scouting reports at some of the contestants of the bigger he dance. He did? Yeah, and we had the one, Danica Patrick. <laughs> Was he into it? Did he like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Danica Patrick. Danica Patrick. What, what a looker. <laughs> Bernie uh, Little and I were on the log boom when Danica Patrick drove by. All right, all I got left is RIPs. Prayers out. Should yep. I send out three sets of prayers? Please. Martina Navratilova. Oh, really? Great. Yeah. Double dose of cancer. Ugh. She has been diagnosed with both throat and breast cancer. Oh. She says, thank goodness, early stages. The double whammy is serious, but still fixable, she writes. I'm hoping for a favorable outcome. It's going to stink for a while, but I'll fight it with all I've got. 18 singles Grand Slam titles, 31 women's doubles titles, 10 mixed doubles titles, record 59 major totals altogether. One of the greats that have ever swung a racket. Martina Navratilova fighting cancer in two different ways. Prayers to popular actor, though I don't know who he is, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, you don't watch the Avengers, do you? No. Yeah. That that was a Should weird I know one. who Jeremy Renner is? He's a pretty big time actor. A 911 call from the Washoe County Sheriff's Office detailing some of the injuries of Jeremy Renner. He got he got run over. I don't even know how this happened by a snowplow? Yeah, it was it's a weird. big 14,000 pound Tucker snowcat ran him over. How did how does that happen? So I think he was trying to, because he, he sent out an Instagram picture that said, and it showed the snowcat, it said the sledding hill all cleared for the kids. He was trying to be nice, and he was like moving the snow around. And, like a sled. and then I think his all neighbor's car was also stuck in the snow. Yeah. So he was trying to clear a path. And then I think the, the, he the thing forgot. tossed him out or something, and well, then it ran no, over it, him? No, he got out, and it started moving. He tried to jump back in to, like, stop it, but then it toppled over on him. And, oh, like, my God. Not Lucky good. to be alive. Lucky to be alive. Lucky to be alive. Yeah, no, he's a badass actor. He's in the Hurt Locker, too. You ever see Hurt Locker? No. He's Hawkeye. He's an Avenger. I don't know him. I don't know Good him. Lord. I saw his picture, and it was, it, was, it was vaguely familiar when I saw the picture. Now, had your brother lived with Hawkeye, the Avenger, you would have seen this Absolutely. movie. Oh, for sure. No Absolutely. question. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you a Madden player on the Xbox? Did you ever play Madden football? It's weird that I didn't. You'd think no. I would. It just seemed a little too complicated for complicated. a guy like me. It's a lot of buttons and no. Prayers out to NFL former running back Peyton Hillis. Saw that, yeah. Who was at one time the cover boy Crazy. of Madden football. You remember him as a running back for the Cleveland Browns? He had a quick kind of a quick call to fame. I think he did very, very well over a short period 2012. of time. He uh, he's in intensive care and unconscious after a swimming accident where he had to uh, save his children from drowning off the off the coast of Florida in the ocean off the coast of Florida. Yeah. And he's fighting for his life. He is. Yeah. In Pensacola, Florida. Were they his kids or was it strangers? I believe they were his kids. Wow. It says saving his children. Amazing. From drowning in the ocean off the coast of Florida. Yeah. He got into so. acting, I think, after football. He was like trying to get into. So he, I, think, I think he's an actor now. Yeah. That's amazing. Awful. I hope he uh, yes recovers. Let's hope obviously. he pulls through. And then I've got one, two RIPs and a question for you. So. Okay. You probably don't know Ken Block. No. He's a rally driving champion, action sports star. He created DC Shoes. He passed away at 55 following a snowmobile accident in Utah. I mean, this guy. If- How many snowmobile accidents are we going to have? He's one of the most week. famous. Like, this guy came into Forza one time. 
Oh. And it was like Michael Jordan going to a high school oh, basketball really? practice. Like, I mean, yeah, no idea. Ken Block is like it. Legendary. Like if you watch these film series called Jim Connor of him, he'd have the streets shut down in like LA to film these and the, the drifting and the slow motion. And like, you can't believe what this guy can do in a car. Really? He's unbelievable. Number 43 car. Hmm. Yeah. He died in a snowmobile accident. I mean, this oh, guy, he's God. like the kind, he's not afraid of anything. I mean, you know, drive, you should see him drive these cars, a snowmobile. I mean, I do, you know, I do this in my sleep. But those things are heavy, and he went up a hill, and it fell back on him. And those are big machines. I lost a friend to a snowmobile accident. He did. Guy I graduated with, who oh. coincidentally high married school? one of my wife's good friends. Yeah, I graduated high school oh. with him. The snowmobiles, man, those are big, powerful machines that go really fast. I was on and, one once with my dad. Yeah, in I Park mean, I'm, City, Utah. I'm sure they're a lot of fun. But yeah, Ken Block, dude, he's do yourself a favor. Go watch the Jim Connell one in L.A. It's, okay. You can't believe how this guy can drive, but he's okay. survived by his wife and three children. Sorry, rest in yeah. peace. How old was he? 50? 55, Ken Block. Who else yeah. you got? Fred White, the drummer of Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh, I didn't know the that. The fourth of the White brothers to perform in Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh. Now, Maurice White's like the founder. He's the older brother. You right. know his voice. He's yeah. on all the hits. Yeah. But Fred actually got hired at 19 to be in the band. 19, he's in Earth, Wind & Fire. So... He was on Boogie Wonderland, September. He was on, he played on all those. And, and then his other brother, Verdine White's the bass player. Yeah. You've never seen a human more born to do something than Verdine White. It, he was born to play bass at Earth, Wind & Fire. When you see him live, you can't stop looking at Verdine. It, I can't explain it to you. You just have to see his brother Verdine play bass. Nobody could play bass at Earth, Wind & Anyway. And how old was this guy? Rest in peace to Fred White. He wasn't very old. Uh, uh... Let's see. He was 19 and 74. I didn't write it down. So I think he was like 67. Yeah, you'd think he'd be older, but again, he was 19 when he joined. Anyway, he was uh, yeah. in a big time band in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Earth, Wind & Fire. So rest in peace to Fred White. Okay. James Buster Corley. You don't know that name. Buster? You ever heard of Dave and Buster? Oh, yeah. I read about him. He's the Buster from Dave and Buster. Committed suicide, I think. He did, yes. Yeah, he's... Or died by suicide. You're not supposed to say committed suicide. He died by suicide. By a self-inflicted gunshot wound, yeah. yes. Sorry yeah, he opened the first Dave and Busters in 1982 with his partner, David. Now, why was David's name said first with Dave and Buster? Why wouldn't Buster's have, be named first? Do you have the I do, as a matter of oh, fact. Wow, this is good trivia. Kind of. Well, Buster lost a coin toss. <laughs> That's it. And, he's, and, he, and he, he let David. All right. I lost. You can we can call it Dave and Buster instead of Buster and Dave's. But um, I was I at a Dave and Buster's in Los Angeles about a week or so, 10 days ago when I was stuck yeah. in L.A. and I couldn't get home. And I wanted to watch that Kansas City on Christmas Day, that Kansas City Seattle game. Yeah. Yeah. You went to Dave and Buster's? Well, I was told that there was a uh, I called the local buffalo wild wings yeah. near the airport at lax i called on the night before and the lady answered the phone and she said i said first of all do you get all the games and b are you going to be open at 10 a.m tomorrow yes we open at 10 a.m we have all the games we'll have the chiefs seahawks game so i got in an uber <laughs> pissed somebody off and then apparently i got, got a one yeah, yeah got into an uber went 15 minutes away took all my luggage with me because i was checking out of one hotel and going into oh another. no wonder this guy hated and he, you. he, he he let me out right in front of the, the, the Buffalo Wild Wings at 9.55. Yeah. I pulled my luggage out, my backpack out. I'm the only Pain one standing the ass, out there. Yeah. I'm like, I'm the only person here yeah. at, at Buffalo Wild Wings until I saw the sign on the door on Christmas Day. We're not opening till 11. There you go. And now I'm standing outside. The game is about to begin. <laughs> and I have been told by the woman that you're they're opening at 10. And I'm standing outside at 11. Now. Had the Uber driver seen me at that moment, he may have given me the one. Yes. Or a finger. Yeah. But he was long gone. So here I am standing outside a Buffalo Wild Wings. Okay. On a 
Christmas morning. Yeah. I think it was Christmas morning. Okay. And they're not opening for another hour. And I look across the way, and there's a Dave and Buster's. Oh. And they're opening right now. Oh, open at 10. It happened on Christmas? On Christmas. Wow, that's cool. Went over there and watched the game. It was a really close game. Very fun game. Play any games? Get any tickets? Do no, no. I'm sitting there. People are like, is this some sort of a bag, ladies? Why, why, why is this man bringing luggage into... Right. <laughs> And, why, and I sat there and watched the game. There you go. Dave and Buster's. Anybody else? Because I have two. Yeah, I got a quick one. Earl oh. Bowen. He's a character actor best known for his roles on the Terminator franchise. If you love Terminator 2 as much as I do, he's the one who Sarah Connor holds the syringe full of bleach on his neck and trying to hold oh. him hostage in Terminator 2. Oh. You would recognize his face. He was in all yeah. kinds of stuff. Battle of the Stars. How old? How old? Uh, the Man with Two Brains. How old? Uh, I don't know why I didn't write down how old okay, everybody is. Would you is. stop doing that? And I got one more. Than... people that died, you got to tell me how old they were. I got one more who you probably have to. Who? Adam Rich. Yep. He was one of my two. Yeah. Yeah. Eight is enough. You don't remember eight is enough. That's probably just before your wheelhouse. That's the difference between me, my it's, age, and your age. I, I totally because remember I, it. I, I was on the young side, but I remember Dick Van Patten. Yeah. And eight is enough. And I remember Nicholas and I remember Adam Rich. He was the cute little boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Was in the, but he had drug problems his entire life. Childhood yeah. actor that ended up in drug problems. I heard in 1991, I read that he was in jail on a drug charge. And you know who bailed him out? His TV dad. His TV dad, Dick Van Patten. Yeah, very sweet. Yeah. He died at the age of 54. We don't know how. We don't know why. Yeah. 54, my age. That's sad. It turns out. I mean, that show was only on from 77 to 81, but it feels like it was just a huge part but of everything. you everybody. don't remember 8 is enough. I mean, I'm three, no. I no, mean, I, I remember 8 is enough. I remember it, don't but start I don't... Don't 8 is enough. But what's, <laughs> wasn't 8... What are the eight Waltons and Eight is Enough kind of like competing no, family no, shows no. on Much different different ma- networks? Ma- I wasn't a Walton's guy either, no. but I think I watched some Eight is Enough. Next thing you're going to talk to me about is, is House on the Prairie. Oh, it's called, first of all, Little House on little, the Prairie. Little House Not on the Prairie. Not just House on the Prairie. <laughs> there was no mansion on the Prairie. They were poor and they so built So that's it all your RIPs? You don't have Bessie Hendricks? No, I don't. Bessie Hendricks of Iowa? No. She died this past week at age? I don't mess up the ages. Yeah, it turns out. I bring yeah. the ages in. Okay, sounds good. 115. <laughs> Come on. No, I kid you not. Bessie Hendricks wow. of Iowa lived through the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, two world wars, the dawn of the internet age, and global pandemic. At age 115, she was believed to be the oldest person in the U.S. She died this past Tuesday at a senior living facility in Salt Lake City, Utah. Yes, Lake City, Utah. Yeah. Uh, Hendricks, who was born November 7th, 1907 crazy taught at a one-room schoolhouse in her home state it's like little house on the prairie she raised five children two of whom she outlived i'm sure yeah and back when she was 112 uh-huh. hendrix told a newspaper when asked about her longevity quote work hard stay away from doctors and make sure to enjoy sweets like a piece of pie or slice of birthday cake. I'm on it. Bessie Hendricks was 115. I like when people go, oh, does it say how she passed away? I like when people do that with like really old Natural people. causes. <laughs> it wasn't dune buggy riding or something? Okay. She right. got so pissed at Quandre Diggs. <laughs> yeah. Put her over the edge finally. Huh? And then she read about Caleb Williams and oh, that was it. Can't take it. Yeah. Yes. Pretty crazy what she's seen though when you went through the list of everything that she lived through. How about I mean, that? 
telling her six. She probably airplanes like no. the commercial travel, no. like I mean, no. just everything. No. TV, radio, God, cell phones. I need some headlines to cheer me up. A Wisconsin woman was charged after authorities say she poisoned her 70-year-old husband three times during July and August Uh by putting barbiturates in his coffee. See, that's how I know I'll never be poisoned by my wife. She'd actually have to bring me something to drink occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) The the model who, the first time she does, I'm like, you take a sip first. The model who allegedly had a hot, steamy kiss with Prince Harry, now mocking him online with memes. This may actually be the first time we see a ginger snap. Waffle House worker, (laughs) a Waffle House worker is blacklisted from the chain after that epic brawl that was caught on tape recently. Yes. Imagine explaining to your parents how it's been determined that you don't have the temperament to work at a Waffle House. Any of them, for that matter. And finally, Wells Fargo has terminated its vice president of operations in India after he allegedly urinated on a 72-year-old woman aboard a recent flight. I saw this. He's been terminated. Still no word on whether the man will receive a golden parachute. What'd you think of the electric guitar anthem at the Jacksonville football game? <clears throat> Did you watch? Oh, sure. Everybody's a, everybody's a buzz about the way this guy, this Jacksonville area local guitarist played the national anthem before the Jaguars Titans AFC South showdown the other day. But you're making it like he's the first guy to play the national anthem on electric guitar. No, I'm not making it to sound like that. So I what never... was so different about this version? I'm than... just asking if you enjoy it because people seem to really either love this version yeah. or hate this version. It was fancy schmancy, as I would say. Yeah. That's a technical term. Yes, it is. And I just wondered what a guitarist like yeah, you... That's right. Yes, I'm a guitarist. I mean, thought, I... thought of the national anthem. If you don't want to answer, if it's something that's personal and private, you don't want to talk about it, <laughs> then just tell me. <laughs> I've seen Mike McCready from Pearl Jam do it at a Seahawks game. Yes, I have seen that too. At a Mariners game, Sounders game. game. I'm sure he's done it at every game. Yes. But they're all copying the original. Who's the first one to do an electric? Jimi Hendrix is what I'm going to guess. Where? At an NBA All-Star game. I'm just guessing. Was not an NBA All-Star game. You heard of Woodstock? Oh, yeah. He did it at Woodstock. Now, his performance of the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock, it was actually a turning point in the history of the counterculture movement, as you know. So it was a summing up of the most volatile eras. One of the most volatile eras in the nation's history. His adaptation of our national anthem has entered our cultural lexicon as perhaps the most powerful musical touchstone of the era. A zeitgeist of expressiveness. Would you agree? No. I can't, I can't hear it. You don't like it? No, I can't hear it. I, can't, I have to go back and look at it. But he was like the first one to really, to really do that. Are you going to answer my question? I always like when they play the uh, Did you like anthem. this guy's version yeah, or not? I think he's great. The Jacksonville guy. He's very talented guitar player. I think it was great. It was great. He's not famous, right? No. He's like a local... No, Paul Wayne is his name. Yeah, he's not like a famous musician. He's like a local musician. Well, he's famous in his own home. His kids know him. Yeah, they sure do, yes. But I'm always a fan of... But I'm sure some people, it rubs them the wrong way, you know, that it should be played in a more traditional... You know, that goddamn heavy metal. I don't want to... You know, it's like... (laughs) I like it, though. I'm always a fan of it. All right, listen. Just do me a favor. Two favors. Yes. Coronary calcium score. Yes. Listen to John Osborne on the show. Okay. Did you listen to the Jewish Santa or not? Loved it. Oh, give me a review. Really? I mean, you can say if you didn't love it. No, I loved it. He was great. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to it. I listened to it. I swear to you, I listened to it. Did you hear Rodney Dangerfield? 
He did a Rodney he, Dangerfield. He broke into Rodney Dangerfield for a, a, a quick set. I thought I see, you would. See, I, I thought you would love. You're probably doing something else. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah, I was like working, but I I listened to it. Yeah, very under. He broke into. He said like Rodney Dangerfield, mm. and he did like three words, and I was like, okay, that was really good. <laughs> see, I gotta go the back. Jewish and Santa, you gotta hear the Santa's yeah. impression of Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. All right. So, no, it was really good. Okay, I want you to listen to John Osborne. It's important. I want you to ask your internist. I want yep. you to ask. Your doctor. Dr. Eight Pack, yes. Eight Pack? He's got an eight pack, this guy. He loves it. <laughs> I feel so oh God, he can't stop with the with the, the glycemic index and, and if the you get insulin a call resistance. From and... Area code two 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 for the love of the Lord, <laughs> don't answer it. And people, yes. If you missed my my heartfelt announcement at the beginning of the show. I don't need any more Uber rider ratings. <laughs> right. I don't need any more screenshots. And for the love of love of the Lord, yes. the next person who writes me about something else, but then writes like Sean in Seattle in parentheses 4.92. Yeah. I'm going to swing. Good. Okay. Cause right. that's pissing me off. You and John Morant. <laughs> Double team them. Let's go. <laughs> I, by the way, I don't need them either. This wasn't even my story, and I'm getting them on Twitter and from friends. I'm good too. I don't give a shit. Leave and me alone. With that episode two, two, two. Go Hawks. No. Seahawks. How about that in the playoffs against the Niners? Woo! Oh my God. Prediction. Pain. Thirty-four, thirteen. That that good. Okay, that's not good. <laughs> It's not good. What did you say? You you thought the spread was going to be what? I said ten and a half. Has it come out yet since we started recording the show? Know. You better let's we did take, this off let's the take air, a look. But, you know. Yes, it's minus ten. Is it? Right on the butt. Look at me. I know a little something about gambling once in a while. Why you live in a big house and send your kids? That's to exactly right. Uh huh. Really, ten. I <sighs> as Again. the host of Mitch Unfiltered, am I allowed to go to like? The Snoqualmie Casino and just put a lot of money at yes. the 49ers. Minus it's 10. probably smart. There's no way. You're one of the There's people who's no watched way. every single game of theirs. But there is you know, no the way. 99% of the people betting on this game haven't watched one Seahawks game, so they don't know. Chargers minus one against the Jaguars in Jacksonville. Buffalo minus 11 against the Dolphins in Buffalo. Well, here we go. Get, tell me about that one. Maybe I'll go to Snoqualmie too. Well, you got to tell me who's quarterbacking the Dolphins. And okay. I'll tell you. Right. And, I, and I'll tell you right now if. I'd like to say that I like Skylar Thompson, but if he's quarterbacking the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, go on. What? <laughs> the Vikings are three-point favorites at home against the Giants. Yeah. The Bengals are six-and-a-half-point favorites against the Ravens in Cincinnati. And the Cowboys are three-point favorites on the road at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. Could we be seeing Tom Brady's final game in the NFL? Perhaps. And with that, episode 222 has gone long enough. A mediocre three hours is in the books. <laughs> 